Hello, and welcome to the Shea Hits Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate that it's now pitch black outside by 6 p.m. And my name is Kyle, and today I hate the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Board Game Monster Box of Monsters expansion. And, and what the hell is that? So, do you remember, a long time ago, I talked about playing the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Board Game? With one of my friends and Kara. Yes. Um, because yeah. it was super hard. It was, yeah, it was very difficult. Yeah. And the difficulty was because the draw deck for the Hogwarts cards, it's a deck builder game. So, mm-hmm. like, you're purchasing and buying cards to add to your deck that you shuffle and draw out of, um, and then discard and then reshuffle and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, the big problem with the game is the draw deck size. Every year, because you play through all seven years, every year they don't take any cards out of the draw deck, they just add to it. So mm-hmm. your chances of finding those new cards get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, and the chances of finding cards in which you actively need for different mechanics that they add also get slimmer because of that. So it just leads to a lot of like it, literal like luck of the draw, whether or not you're going like depending on the combination of like negative effects from all the enemies you're facing um, and. The combination of uh, what uh, six Hogwarts cards you have available to purchase at any given time. Um, so I, I've read online like a lot of like house rule stuff, or my friend uh, read online about a, a lot of house rules that might make it better. But okay. um, a- as the base game, like as it stands, it's very difficult and not in a fun way, in like a random way. So like right. sometimes it's just so stacked against you that winning is impossible, and so then you mm-hmm. just waste your time, which sucks. Um, so there's an expansion called the Monster Box of Monsters that adds all these new mechanics, all these new cards, but doesn't take any cards out. So it just compounds yeah. the draw deck size problem. Um, and it, it, which normally expansions try and like target and compensate for problems in the base game that for some reason didn't get fixed in playtesting or they couldn't okay. find a workaround for. Um, but this just compounds the problem, which is awful and terrible and horrible. (laughs) So basically it adds detention cards that you, that based on various circumstances get added to your deck. So not only, um, it's like, not only is it hard because the draw deck size is now bigger because they add more cards. Not only is it hard to find those cards that you might need, but now it's even harder to draw them in your hand because you're having to draw all these dummy detention cards and it fills up your hand. And there's only one type of card in which you can use to get rid of those from your hand. There's only like one or two types of cards that'll do that. And so those are hard to find in the draw deck, but you're constantly yeah, getting so inundated many. with these detention cards. And you can't right. get rid of them, and they can't draw the cards you need. And there's all these other negative effects that are piling on. Um, and it's not fun. So if you're getting that expansion, maybe don't. Just get the base game and enjoy that. Find some house rules. Um, because... When things go well, that game is a lot of fun because you feel like it's like like it or not, this is what peak performance looks like. Um, <laughs> you feel really, really good. Like you and the people you're playing with feel really good about like the the team synergy you have because it's a cooperative game. You're playing against the game. Um, it's like that's that's when the game really shines, and that's when it's kind of addictive. Is like you're on that, you're riding that high, and like you're thinking two steps ahead as a group. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it forces a lot of teamwork, which is, uh, I think, a good thing. But um, then other times, you know, you just 
draw complete shit in the beginning and then you just never get to recover from that and it sucks yeah when something's like so much down to luck it makes it a little less fun right especially when it's really hard and and it's also up to luck a lot of times yeah and it is it it feels like difficult like when you fail it doesn't feel like it's your fault feels like the game screwed you over and that's never fun regardless of what type of game it is yeah because you get that in video Um, games a lot too so Right, exactly. So that's kind of, you know, and anything to do with life. If it's down to luck, <laughs> it's not probably not going to be fun. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so before we dive in, because we got a lot of uh, stuff to talk about this week, but because I know there's at least one person out there that cares, I wanted to give a quick fantasy football update because we're like right at the playoffs now, which is a big deal. So... um I'm in six leagues this year, which was too many leagues because I kind of stopped paying attention. Well, not stopped paying attention, but I didn't pay as much attention as I should in some of the leagues. So in my home league, the one that I really care about that I'm in with my wife and my dad, my father-in-law, brother-in-law, all extended family and friends, I am in second place behind my wife, who is in first place, (laughs) who has only lost one game. I have lost two games. One of them was to her, and one of them was to the guy in third place. Doesn't so, she just kind of pick randomly? No, she okay. did. I mean, she she's very competitive, and so she does her research shortly before the draft. It's it's. I don't want to take anything away from her because she did a really good job with her draft. She hit on some of her like later round sleeper picks of like, oh, is this guy going to be good or not? A lot of those hit for her, which obviously helps. But there were some dudes that were, like, lucky. Like, she had a, a bunch of these sleeper guy picks, and one of them was Kenny Galladay, who's a wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, who was, like, the number three wide receiver on the team. But everyone was like, oh, he could take over and be the number one wide receiver on the team. And so she had this big list of guys that she wanted to pick, and she picked Kenny Galladay because she liked his last name the most. So, like... Yeah, you, like, you can't really take credit for that one. <laughs> but... It will be very interesting. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous because this week, the final week in week 13 before the playoffs, the top two teams get a bye in week 14. So she, are, no matter what happens, whether or not she wins or loses this week, will get a bye. I have to win to get a bye because the guy who is in third place, we have the same record. I beat him or I'm, I'm um, ahead of him in second place because I've scored more points. So if I lose, he gets second place and I get third. And the guy I'm playing this week, his team has a bad record, but his team is really, really good. And I already had guys play on Thursday night that kind of got dug me a little bit of a hole. So I'm just really nervous about this week. In one of my other leagues, it's 1,000 teams. It's part of this like fantasy it's sports app. A lot of app. teams. Yeah. So there, there. It's I think it's like nine or no, it's not nine, but it's a bunch of. Di- groups of 12 so it's a standard league where there are 12 teams so you play all against each other as a 12 some and then the top three teams move on to face the top three teams from every other league and so i won that league after 12 weeks i was 10 and 2 i won that league so i get a bye this week in week 13 and so the top the second place team and the top other top scoring team from every league fights each other this week and then the winner of that will go against me um okay me and the other winners so i think next week 
there's like 160 of us left. And then it's just the whoever the the top 50% top scores of everybody. So it's not head to head matchups. It's just every man for himself will move on to week 14 and 15 and 16 for the championship. So I'm pretty pumped because my team is really good and I won that league. So I'm pretty happy about that. What's uh, what's riding on it? What are the stakes, man? Nothing. Just bragging rights, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. I wish there was like money or something. They've said like, oh, we'll have some sort of prizes, but they haven't really said what it is. Because it's like part of this like card. fantasy football uh, app community that I'm in that I really like. I, I post in there a lot. Um, so that would be pretty. It, I mean, it would be pretty freaking cool if I won, regardless. Um, but then in my third league is a 14 team league that had a buy in, $50 buy in. I was in second place. And I had only lost, I think, two games. And the guy in first place had only lost one game. But I lost two weeks ago, and I lost last week. And it just I just got unlucky with scoring. and Because I scored a lot of points, but just I happened to go up against someone that scored more, which really sucked. So I think I'm in third or fourth. So I'm going to make the playoffs in that league, which start next week. But obviously, I want to win this week to stay you know, in the thick of it. So that one, I think it's winner take all. And it's a $50 buy-in with 14 teams. So the winner of the league gets $700, wow. which would be pretty cool if I won. I'm not – I am not. I don't think I'm going to win. My team is very good, but there are a couple teams, I think, who have better guys. So we'll see. It could still be pretty cool if I won, obviously. Yeah. And then the other three leagues are the ones where I'm not paying as close attention. One of them, I am in the playoffs already. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, it's the 16-team league where I'm the commissioner. And I'm in like fourth or fifth place, even though I've scored the most points, which is really frustrating. But I'll make the playoffs in that league. And I think I have a pretty good chance of winning it because my team is really good and I've scored the most points. Um, but I've had the most points scored against me, which is, is shitty. And then there's one league where I have to win this week and I'm in the playoffs. And then another league where I have to win this week and I need another team to lose for me to make the playoffs. So pretty good chance I'm going to make the playoffs in five out of six leagues, which I'm pretty proud of. I feel that's like that's good. pretty good, especially when I'm not like super engaged in the three of those leagues. So we'll see what, how key. it goes. Success comes not when you're stressed about it, but when you're relaxed. Yeah, when maybe. When you're in a man. zen state of mind. Maybe. The biggest one is the home league because it, it, it it's a $40 buy-in. But I think the, the winner gets 200 second place gets 100 and then the top-scoring team overall gets 100 Right, well, now, right now, you and Kelly are both getting the top I know, two. dude. Right now, Kelly and I are getting all the money because she's in first, I'm in second, and I've scored the most points. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah. So that would be pretty pretty legit if, uh, if we took home everything. Obviously, I want to win because I don't want to lose to my wife, who I am the one that convinced her to play fantasy football last year. So I've created a of monster is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Plus, I feel like all the pressure's on me because this is the fourth year of the league and I've won it twice already. So I feel like everybody's kind of gunning for me and wanting me to lose, which sucks. Especially like when I play dad. So dad's like not super engaged. Right. I remind him sometimes to like, oh, don't forget this guy's hurt or this guy's on by this week. Make sure you swap him out. And like the only week where he paid more attention was the week where he played me. I still crushed him. I absolutely demolished his team. I beat him by like 60 points. Just in case dad's listening. It is the, know. Hey, all right. So um, a little, some advice for you to chew on, think about okay. over the next, you know, 30 years of your life. Right. It is the father's role to be surpassed by his children. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. 
You hear that, Dad? My daughter's got. My daughter's got a. She's got hard work ahead of her if she's going to try to surpass me in anything. I'll say that much. But she is my kid, so she's going to be amazing in everything. I like the idea of the first time you're holding her, you just like lean in real close, and you're like, "You'll never beat me." I feel like because I've already decided that my daughter's going to like video games because I'm going to play them a lot with her. So she'll grow to like those and maybe she'll, she'll grow out of it or want, that's totally fine. I don't want to like define what she's going to like, but I want her to like video games as a kid at least. Cause I think it's a, it's a fun thing for us to do together. And I think that it really helps expand her, your imagination playing video games. Yeah. So, um, I feel like I, I'm already anticipating the moment where, like, she beats me in a video game for the first time as being, like, one of those really bittersweet moments because of how competitive <laughs> I am. But also, I'll be really proud of her and happy for her. It's a I'm signal of that. your decline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My Twitch skills are fading. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's the, uh, the fantasy football wrap-up. I'm pretty proud of the way that this season has gone. Obviously, we'll see how everything plays out in the playoffs, but... I feel like I have a pretty good chance to win or at least like finish in the top three in a couple of these leagues. So should be fun. Well, by fun, uh, it'll be fun if I win. I will be pissed if I don't. So it won't be fun. <laughs> That's kind of how it works for me. But um, how about we, we dive in and start talking about some, some games. So I know we have both been playing Fallout 76 and Red Dead. So let's probably kind of start with those. So Fallout, we still haven't played together. And nope. I think part of it is, like, I've only played it maybe two two times in the past two weeks. I just, when I go in and play, I play for a couple hours. But I'm not often, like, wanting to dive in and play. And I think, I mean, I think it's for a bunch of different reasons. It's weird because I feel like one of the primary reasons is it's a bit of a lonely game when you play by yourself. Yeah. Just because the world's so vast and a lot of it's empty and there aren't NPCs and stuff. So it really is meant to be played co-op but you're the only one I have to play co-op with. So if you're not going to play it, I don't really want to play it as much. Um, But I'm in this, so I'm still in that area, the like more deserty area that I was in last episode with kind of a a big quest in that, whatever town that is with the monster Grafton. Yeah, it was, that's where I am. Um, And so I went to this like amusement park, which was a really cool area to explore, but I'm starting to come across way harder enemies. So in, in that amusement park, there are a lot of Mirelurks, which yeah, they were so hard. Yeah. I'm like level 12. And so a lot of them, they're like sort of around my level. Some of them are like 10 or 11, but some of them are 15, 16 up to 20. And so those can be really hard because Mirelurks are kind of difficult. They're fast. If you shoot them in the shell, it does really minimal damage. So they can be kind of difficult to deal with. Plus, they, like, surprise you and come out of nowhere. And that's one right. of the big things. You know, I've always felt this about Fallout. But particularly, something about this game makes it more so. Where it's, like, scarier than previous games have been. Like, I feel like I get jump scared a lot more. Or, like, the environment is spooky. And maybe it's just because... I know that there are other human beings there, but they're nowhere around me, which makes me feel even more isolated. I don't know. I don't know why, hmm. but I feel like that might be one of the reasons. And then when I came across this little like town area on my way to some quest, I came across a a legendary level 32 Wendigo, which for one, the Wendigos are terrifying because they're like the the Wendigo enemies from Until Dawn. The like they look like Gollum kind of creatures. And they're scary as shit looking, and they're super fast. And this, like, crazy music sting played when I came across it. 
And it was level 32, legendary, had a little star next to its name. And I think it was part of a side quest, because I remember, like, I was listening to some holotape or, or read a note, and it was about, like, hey, we're here hunting this really rare monster keep your eye out at this time in this place and i didn't really pay attention and i think it might be that thing so i'm assuming i'm not supposed to come across it what i did when i saw it first was i fucking ran away (laughs) and i just kept i just kept running until it stopped following me and then i went back to the town and it was like in the distance so it didn't see me yet so i jumped up on top of a house where it wouldn't be able to get to me and started just sniping it and trying to like wear it down. But I was doing such minimal damage. And I wonder if it's an AI thing where they're smarter. Cause I, it, this has happened multiple times where if I'm really far away and I try to snipe an enemy or shoot it from a distance and I hit it, it will go hide behind something. Yeah. Like it won't, it won't come at me. Like in this instance, I sniped it and it went and it just went and hid and sat behind a house. And I just right. sat there waiting for it to come out and it didn't come out. So I wonder if it's, I mean, it's a, if it's on purpose, it's an AI thing to make you not be able to kind of kite enemies like that, which right. sucks. I, I Because th- that's, that's a Bethesda staple. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think it is because, I think it's if they don't have a clear, if the AI isn't able to figure out a path to you, I think um, it will hide. Interesting. That sucks. Because then eventually I decided, like, well, I can't shoot him. I'm not going to go engage with him one-to-one. There's no way. So I just ran, and I left the town. Which sucks, because I wanted to explore and do whatever. But I guess I just wasn't meant to be there at that time with that enemy. So, I don't know. It's It continues to be a very buggy game. I continue to feel, like, apathetic towards a lot of aspects toward it. But when I play it, I get enough of that Fallout goodness to make me want to go back and play it again after a couple days yeah so what about you um yeah so i also came across grafton and i was questing around there for a while i found like a, a really nice spot for a base that's like right next to one of the vendors which okay. is neat um so that's like really really convenient um the thing that i've noticed that i really like is their attention to detail in like how because you start out and you're like in this really mountainous like green forest area so everything's still yeah. like really lush and like vibrant with life and then you get over to the grafton area and it's like gray and like orange and like almost like a pussy yellow and lifeless right. and like highly radiated yeah and like all the homes there like the boards are all washed out with co- all yeah. the colors washed out essentially um and so that area is so different and then um, so there's also like a, a couple of really cool side quests. So like the water park you were talking about, there's a side quest about a cold case for a child who was abducted. Right. So I like picked you, that up. Yeah. And like, that's actually, that was a lot of fun. Like walking around trying to solve that and thinking about it, like finding the evidence and all that. Um, and then I found another side quest. I think it was actually a daily, um, I had to like go hunt one of the, one of each of these three things. And that okay. hunt led me further. I want to say it was North Northwest and to a downed, uh, the downed um, space station. So, um, like, there were, like, pieces of a space station had been, like, ripped in half and, like, landed. Is that where there were a bunch of super mutants? Um, There were a bunch of, um, actually, there were a couple super mutants, but there were a lot of uh, the chard or whatever they're called. Oh, maybe it was a different place than I came across. Because I came across this, like, really highly, highly irradiated. Yeah. Where it looked like a space station. But when I got there, it was, like, all super mutants. So maybe it was because I wasn't part of a quest or something. Uh, but I got a uh, I got a space suit there that I'm wearing yeah, now. Yeah, me too. Which looks yeah. pretty – it looks really cool. Yeah. Anyway. Um, 
Yes, I think we found the same place. But, like, the quest led me slightly, um, like, up on one of the ridges around there to hunt this specific animal. And it has, like, a weird name. I don't remember what the name was. But because it had me hunt, like, a rad stag, and then it had me hunt okay. something else that... And so I was like, okay, this thing has a weird name. I don't know what it is, but I'll go hunt it. Assuming it's probably, like, rad stag-sized. Mm-hmm. No! This thing's huge, and it's a fucking nightmare. It's like someone slapped a bunch of different body parts together, and it's like like trying to come at me, and it was like level 23, Mm. and I was like, oh, God, and so I was like trying to like kite it around this like fallen tree so it couldn't like get at me, but every time it hit me, it did like a third of my health, and I actually, I managed to kill it, but it was a close call. That thing freaked me the hell out, and then... Because, like, it said the quest marker was hunt these things, so it sends you to, like, an area where there are multiple of them. Like, uh, like a breeding ground for them or whatever. And so I killed that one, and then, like, I was like, oh, thank God. And then I turned around, and there's, like, two more, like, kind of coming in my direction. And I was like, mm-hmm. I gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> so I booked it. Um, it, was a cl- it was a near call. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's like... Moments like that, that kind of like emergent gameplay, that's that's a lot of fun. And just discovering there are so many enemy types in this game. Like, there are so yeah. many different mobs and like yeah. fauna and items, and it's just packed full of that stuff. Have you come across the like big salamander style enemies? It looks like a giant human sized salamander, and it kind of like moves like snaky when it, like, it has legs, but it like moves like a snake does the kind of back and forth when no, it. No, I don't like it. It was that. pretty. It was gross. It was well, not gross is a weird, but it was like creepy when it yeah. and it did a lot of damage to me and it was scary. <sighs> I get scared playing this game a lot. Yeah. Like whenever I, I panic when I come across a lot there, of there enemies. definitely is like a greater sense of isolation than in Fallout yeah. Four because I feel like in Fallout Four at any time like an NPC caravan could be walking by totally and other stuff like that. But in this, like you know, that's not going to happen because you know where all the other people are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you know, you're by yourself. So yeah, I, I get that. That does it does make me excited whenever I do come across a robot like the one yeah. um, nanny robot that gives you that cold case right, quest in the water park. like the, it makes it more exciting because it's so infrequent that yeah, whenever like I an see event. another yeah like a quote unquote living thing I'm like oh cool like something I can actually talk to and not just hear via holotape or read a note right so and I think that's intentional I think that's kind of what they were gunning for um, yes I still think that's worse than other fallout games where there's a lot of people and stuff to engage with. But uh, yes, yeah. I agree. That I, I don't that know was that their worse intention. is the right. I, it's different. It's just different. Well, it's worse for me. I, I'm not having as much fun because I miss the sure. engagement with characters. Right. And like nothing is there to replace that in this game. So I, obviously the internet and critics are just fucking piling on. Yeah. On this people game. review bombed it and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Too. I, I like, I, I feel like, most of the criticisms are absolutely fair. There's just some, there's enough there that I still want to play more about more of it. Like even talking right. about it, I, like I want to go play some today. Like it, 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 I just, I'm getting enough out of it that I want to go back to it, which yeah. I can't say for another video game <laughs> called red dead redemption two. So I know you beat it. I did. So go ahead and kind of give your 
let's stay away from spoilers just because right. it's pretty early on still. But your kind of overall thoughts, because that means you put a lot of time into this game if you beat it already. Yeah, so like over Thanksgiving break, I had a lot of time. So I spent like three whole days playing it, just trying to finish it. Like I did none. I did no side quests. I did like mm. a couple side quests in the beginning. From then on, I did all of the gold icon quests to finish the story, and it still took me like 30 hours. Okay. Um, and that was just to beat the story, not the epilogue. So um, that game has a really, really strong narrative. And I do, like, looking back on it, I kind of wish I had engaged in a little more of the side quest content. Um, but mm. once the thing happened with my horse and I had to replay four and a half hours, there was no more side quests for me. I was not mm. doing any more just because I was so frustrated and i just i wanted to get the story that's the holy reason the whole reason i was coming back to it was to find out what goes on with arthur um and so that's just that was my focus and that's what i did um so i i kind of wish i had engaged in more of the side content because then it would have given me a greater attachment to the different people in the camps and like i'm sure it would have filled out a lot more of you know my experience with them and yeah um, and, and built those relationships up um but even without all of that, I think it's a really, really engaging narrative that I'm glad I experienced. I just wish I didn't have to experience it in the way that they made me, which was plottingly slow um, mm -hmm. and frustratingly. Um, I wish there was a way to play that game where it was just like mission to mission to mission. Because um, okay. I will never go back and play that game. There is no way I will ever go back and play Red Dead Redemption 2 because it just doesn't respect your time. And the whole yeah. thing with the second playthrough is to either go find what you missed or experience the story again. And that's what I would want to do. I, I want to experience the story again, but that game's not going to let me do it in the amount of time that I would be willing to do it in. <laughs> yeah. So I will never play that game again. Um, another thing so that when, really... Well, I was just going to say quickly, like when you finish the game, is it done? Like it doesn't doesn't dump you back into the open world so the game ends mm -hmm. and it's a fucking masterpiece of an ending it is so good it's so good um but there are like a few loose ends um okay. and you're like wow well, i kind of want to know what goes on with that or that but like i need some time mm -hmm. and then the game immediately launches into an epilogue mm. And the epilogue is five hours long. Wow. So by the end of the epilogue, I was just like, I just want done. to be done with this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I finished the story. Like, I completed it. And I feel really good about it. But the game's, like, dragging me through. And it's because they wanted to set it up so that you, so that it could dump you back out into the open world. Which it does mm -hmm. after the okay. epilogue. It dumps you okay. back out, and then you can then go through and um, finish up side quests uh, and, and do a bunch of other. There's a lot of other stuff that's kind of buried and buried within the realm of spoilers that I won't get into. Um, but there's like a buttload of stuff to do after you beat the game. Hmm. But I was just for various reasons, it didn't feel right for to me keep to playing. keep playing it. Um, yeah. Because, like, the story was done, and then it's like, here, you can now do everything. And it just it didn't feel right the way they right. did it. Um, 
And I mean, it's an open world game. Like, there's no real way to get around that. Like, you have to justify the player being able to go into with their current save and do all the other stuff. Like, yeah, that's but not plenty an easy of games say this is the point of no return. Like, Mass Effect does that. Okay, this sure. This is the point of no you. return. If yep. there's anything, and, and they even, yep. I think some of the characters even say something like that. Like it's it's really gearing up or really like building towards the end, and they're like, uh, "Yeah, if there's anything else you need to take care of, uh, do that, and then meet us back at the camp or whatever." You yeah, know, stuff like that. I think they have lines that are a little more organically thrown in like that, and not just like a message that pops up in your face. Yeah. Um. But I just I wish the final moments of the main campaign were able to have more of a lasting weight before like i wish the Just epilogue was right a separate epilogue. launch like yeah. you beat the game the credits roll which the credits do roll i think actually maybe the credits don't roll between the ending and the epilogue yeah maybe they don't and it just launches right into it um but the credits should roll and then it should at the main menu go epilogue unlocked and then you can launch it on your own time it doesn't like mm-hmm. start it for you Mm-hmm. Um, I would have felt better about that. Yeah. Um, because like I had a lot of feelings and emotions wrapped up in the end of that and I needed time to process and the game didn't give me that time to process. It was just mm-hmm. like, let's keep going. Woo. Red dead. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I'm not saying that there aren't things of value in the epilogue, like, um, connections to the first game being made, like a lot of those, um, it it kind of it bridges the gap between the events of Red Dead and the first game in like an interesting way. So there's a lot of value there. It's just not the right time mm-hmm. um, is the only thing. So, I mean, I eventually got over mostly. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. Now that I'm done with it, I'm over how plotting and slow and rough the gameplay was. But now that I think back on it, during while I was playing it and just trying to finish it, it was it was very frustrating, not being able to do it at the pace I wanted to. Sure. Yeah, I so I played another couple hours, so I'm still really early. I'm in the chapter two or whatever, and um, so I did a couple of the. I mean, they're main story quests, but they're introducing you to the side quests. So, like, right. I did the one where you start to hunt that bear. And, like, I didn't... Because it had been, like, a week since I played it, and the game doesn't reintroduce it to you, and there are so many fucking buttons that do so many different things, I didn't remember how to do the, like, track the animal thing, and I just... That's my difficulty with this game. I look at it, like, from an outside perspective, and I acknowledge everything that it is amazing at. All of the writing and the character development, and it's just an absolutely gorgeous game, the combat is fun, but the actual mechanics of how you interact with the game, I feel like are objectively terrible. Like, not even just an opinion, and not even just that they hamper the experience slightly. I feel like there is no argument that you can make that the controls of this game are good. Yeah. Anyone that would argue that, I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy it. You're a liar. It, I, like, I have never played a game that I wanted to play more and don't want to ever play again at the same time. Like, 
hearing you talk about the way the story goes, I'm like, oh man, maybe it's that's so what I should good. just do. Maybe I should just mainline the story, just fucking grind through the terrible gameplay mechanics and just see the whole thing to the end. But then I'm like, that's still another 20, 25, 30 hours that I'm going to have to think, what button do I need to press here? How do I need to do this thing? No, like, eventually you progress past that. It just becomes the pace at which the game lets you play. Uh, yeah. you, you eventually, like, you're still not that far into it. Uh, eventually you get to the point where the controls are not a hindrance. Well, the controls are not a mental hindrance. Yeah. You do it more um, organically, or not more organically, but... Um, you, you just get you, used to it. You get used to it and you become acclimated to it. Um, I would need to play it a lot more often than I am because I'm playing it like once a week. Sure. And so when I go back to it, I'm like, I don't remember any of this shit, which that's not the game's fault. No, that's not true. Some of it is because there are too many buttons. There are too many right. things that do different things that it's unreasonable to expect me to remember all of them. Like I need a tooltip every single action the game wants me to take. Because I have no idea what button I'm supposed to press to do anything. Like, it on, on the bear hunting tutorial, that's where it also showed me how to, like, cook. And you have to press, like, 20 buttons in order to cook a rabbit. Like, it's just, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And if that means this game is it for me, that's fine. But it is annoying. I like, never come, cooked anything Make this a that. little... And, and that's what it is. Like, there are too many things to do. It's not even just that there are too many buttons to press to do anything. That there are too many things to do. Because on that bear hunt quest, like, it shows you how to, uh, how to track. And it shows you how to cook. And it shows you how to skin. And it, like, all you the different things the that you can mix. quite a bit. And I'm just, I'm just like, how am I supposed to remember any of this? Yeah. Unless I'm playing it for 10 hours every day. I don't know, dude. I just... I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to play it. But then I have little moments where, like, I did another side main quest where you like kind of like stealth walk up to this O'Driscoll camp, and that yeah. was super fun. I, that was awesome because that was more just combat. Like, it was a little bit of stealth and like, oh, where am I going to position? And that was just a gunfight, which was really intense and cool. And then I once after that, I was like, I was like, okay, well now what? I need to ride my horse all the way back to the camp. Like it's going to take me six minutes yes. just of riding my horse to get back there. That's not fun. Yep. Traveling back to your camp should always be an option. Fast traveling back to your camp. Yeah. Um, but like the other, the other part of that is like they, a lot, it's because they want everything to be organic. Right. And like emergent. And so a lot of the times, like after a mission, they know like, Whenever you start to head back to your camp, you're going to come across this other thing that has that is story focused. So it's like they had all these ideas of things that they want to happen and places and the order of them. And so letting it be open, I guess, was the easier way of letting that happen or opened up their options for storytelling, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a lot of time spent just like. I had a lot of fun doing that thing. Now I just have to ride my horse for six or seven minutes to get right. to the next thing to start the next thing. And on my way back, I came across that little emergent thing where the horse kicks the dude in the head and he dies and the horse ran away. And I tried right. to follow the horse, but I lost it. And so I'm like, well, that was pointless. Like, I'm sure it, I was supposed to get an extra horse, but I, I missed it. And so I like I kind of explored a little bit because I was like, I don't want to go back to the campus or another one of these things and learn another new system that I'm going to have to remember. So I went to this little dude who was like camped out 
just in the plains. He had his little campfire and a tent, and he was by himself. And he was immediately hostile when I came up to him. And so I, like, tried to defuse it or whatever. And I was like, hey, man, chill out. And he pulled his gun on me, so I murdered him, and I stole some <laughs> of his stuff. And, like, that, again, like, that's it. That's fun to do. But when he pulled his gun on me, I didn't remember how to get off my horse or I had the wrong weapon equipped because the game, for whatever reason, like, changes what weapons I equip every time I get on and off my horse. Yeah, it's really bad about that. So, it, depending on the mission, it, like, auto-selects the weapons for you. And that's you. so it's dumb. frustrating, yeah. If the whole thing is supposed to be this immersive experience where I can do anything I want to do, let me do anything I want to do. Don't make me have my bow instead of my shotgun when I selected my shotgun. That's just, like... It, that takes the power out of my hands in a game where that's their whole aim is to give you everything. They dump everything on you in those first 10 hours. Every single system, every single kind of quest, and then they just say, okay, now play in the world. But then little bits and moments, they take that stuff away from you. And that's incredibly frustrating and goes directly against what their goal is. It makes me so freaking mad because I get that this game is amazing. I understand that it is very good, but boy, I I don't want to play it. And that pisses me off because that's... that's, (laughs) that's, Rockstar's fault. That's not my fault. They did a really bad job implementing these mechanics, and it still pisses me off that people don't talk about that enough. And anyone that brings it up, people are like, oh, yeah, you're just just a hater, or you just have a hot take, whatever. It's like you're not allowed to say anything... You're not allowed to say anything bad about a well-loved game, just like you're not allowed to say anything good about a generally disliked game. Like, whenever you try to say anything good about Fallout 76, people try to make you feel bad or wrong that you're in having fun with it. I hate, I just hate the internet. The internet ruins everything. Correct. Red Dead 2 is a really good game that I don't want to play. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, maybe, I mean, after hearing you talk about the story and stuff, and, you know, maybe I can mainline it, maybe I'll go back to it. But to be honest, me just putting it on a shelf and saying, maybe in a couple years I'll play it, you me just kind of making that commitment of being done, I've enjoyed because it's made me able to focus on other stuff. So I played through the Spider-Man The Heist DLC, the first chapter of the Spider-Man DLC with the Black Cat stuff. And it's really freaking good. Like that, I just had a blast the whole time. It's not... Well, the story of it is really it's really interesting. And there's a little side quest thing with this detective where you're kind of hunting down these old relics of um, an old thief. Where there's like a twist at the end of that, which was, you know, I kind of, I saw it coming pretty right away. But it was still a fun little heisty uh, mystery twist. And all the Black Cat stuff is really good. She just takes poor Peter for a ride, man. Like, she just manipulates the hell out of him. That's what she um, does. Yeah, and so all like all the story is still really good. In the description of it says like it introduces a new enemy or new enemy faction, which it does. It's the Hammerheads dudes, but they're just dudes. Like they don't have anything different. They're just gangsters. So that was a little bit disappointing because like when you fight um, the negative Mr. Negative enemies, they have like different kinds of weapons and different kinds of tactics versus when you fight like. Uh, Doc Ox enemies or you fight the Sable enemies who have the jetpack guys like they all have different types of dudes versus these guys are just like they're just any generic guy with an assault rifle so and that was a little bit disappointing you want, then. yeah yeah um, they uh, introduce more challenge stuff 
So in the base game, it was Taskmaster, who had a lot of these challenges for you. And now it's Screwball, who they introduced in the base game. And she had like a little mini side quest. And in this, she does a lot of the challenges. Some of them are, are fun. Some of them I really, really hate. So they have combat challenges, which are cool. But there's one, there's a new enemy type who's a big dude with a minigun. And I, for the life of me, can't figure out how I'm supposed to beat those guys. Every time I beat one of them, it was luck. Like, there were a bunch of other dudes, and so I was able to, like, you know, swing a sewer lid and hit a bunch of guys at once or use my special power and overweb guys or, you know, there are rocket launcher enemies enemies, and there's a, a move where you can grab the rocket and swing it and throw it at enemies. And so I just got, like, lucky because of other things where I was able to beat them. But so whenever I come one-on-one with a minigun guy, I don't know how. To, I literally don't know how I'm supposed to beat him. Because versus regular enemies, you can web their gun and take it away from them. You can't do that. In the base game, there are you have a lot of different uh, gadgets. So there's like a mine, a web mine that you can throw. There's a like little robot spider that shoots electricity at guys. There's an electric web that electrifies them. There's a bomb that you throw it and it explodes like a grenade and hits webs in a bunch of area. And you can use all of those when you're fighting normal dudes. And that's fun because there's a lot of freedom. None of those do anything to the minigun guy. So I'm just like, like, I don't know how to beat him. And it was really frustrating because there's one particular screwball challenge where he's the last remaining guy and I just couldn't beat it. I just die because he shoots and you have to dodge his minigun as he goes across. And for some reason, I'm always fail to, to dodge it. Anyway, it was just really frustrating. And so that's the one challenge that I haven't beaten was that one combat challenge. And that was a bummer. That's frustrating. It was very frustrating. Um, the final fight kind of comes out of nowhere like it's it's a little bit abrupt and then there's a little kind of there's a lot of story stuff that happens after but it's insane like there are like two minigun guys like 10 guys with rocket launchers a bunch of dudes like on the street that are fighting you and it was just like complete insanity that took me like five or six tries to get through just because there's so much going on and everything does so much damage to you like a rocket launcher does like half of your health and so it's just it was quite intense and quite difficult and that ramp didn't really happen because the rest of the game's like normal Spider-Man where it's fun combat. It's not super difficult, but it's fun because you get to do a lot of different things. But with this final fight, it was just like that huge difficulty spike that was a bit frustrating. I know some reviewers, namely IGN, called out this first DLC and gave it a bit more of a negative score because they're like, oh, it's too open-ended. It doesn't feel like a complete piece of DLC. But it literally is the first part of a three-part story. And they're very clear on that. The way that it wraps up is a big cliffhanger leading into part two. So anyone that would say like, oh, it's not a complete standalone DLC, that was never the intention. And it's very clear that it is not. So I don't get how that's a criticism. I'm going to play, because Turf Wars, the second part's already out. So I'm going to play that. And I'll talk about that next podcast to see kind of how it progresses there. But uh it was just a really, after me saying I'm done with Red Dead, I liked going back to Spider-Man, which was a game that I had nothing but absolute fun with that entire time, and just an excuse to play another three, four, five hours worth of Spider-Man. So looking forward to, to playing more of that with the second right. DLC. Um, any other games for you? Uh, yes. So I will finally remember to talk about Return of the Obra Dinn. Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess it it, got, it worked out because 
last episode, um, my buddy came over like that day after we recorded, and then we actually wound up beating it. Wow. So okay. I have beaten it now. Um, it's it's an extremely good game. Um, there are a lot of twists and turns that the story kind of takes you on. So like basically, the setup is you are you work for an insurance company. And you have been tasked with going out to the ship to determine how all of the crew died. So you have a manifest, and then you have, like, a notebook that you're taking notes in. And you also have this, like, mystical pocket watch that you can use on corpses to show you the moment of their death. And it shows you the moment of their death in, like, a diorama that you can walk around in and look at things through. Um, and before you get to walk around, it'll actually play like a few seconds of audio with a few lines. Um, and those lines are recorded in the book, um, with like an X by the name. If, uh, it's, if it's that person's death scene and they say a line, there's an X by their name. So sometimes that's a clue as to like, oh, this person had like a Scottish accent. So clearly they're from like Scotland or maybe it was an Irish and maybe it's like Ireland, but Mm -hmm. it's, or like Wales. So it's somewhere around there. And like on the manifest, it says the country of origin of, or their country of birth of all the people. So you can kind of use that to narrow down things like based on how they're talking, the things they say, because very rarely do they actually like say characters names. Um, So Hmm. uh, that makes it a little more difficult because you're, it's basically, it's deductive reasoning the game. Um, you're like, it's, it's another thing that's cool about the dioramas is when you look at a person, if you hit a button, it'll open up the journal and they have a drawing that, and the, one of the artists that was on board has done and it has everybody in it. So it'll like show you who that person is in the drawing, um, mm-hmm. which is nice because from then, from there you can like click on them and like add a name and so uh, the way you go about determining the fate is in the book you have to um, pick a person, assign them a name, assign them a death or if they survived, and like where they are if they survived or how they died. And if they were killed by another person, you have to have that person's name as well. Sure. So it's like a lot of information you're compiling. So like for the longest time, my buddy and I had this like one person who – we knew they were stabbed in the back because we have a memory of them like crawling on the floor with a knife in their back. But there's a lot of other people in the scene, and it's unclear where they crawled from. So we don't know who stabbed them. So we have like we know their name, we know they were stabbed in the back, but we don't know by who. So like yeah. it took a long time, and like several other memories later that something was alluded to, or like we went up into the area because a lot of times like in the diorama, there's like the area of action. And then if you walk around, sometimes you can go to other parts of the ship and other stuff is happening that isn't directly related to that. But it helps give context clues for other deaths um, and other things that happened. Um, The story just goes some really, really crazy places like (laughs) right away. The first time it happened, my buddy and I were like, okay, (laughs) I thought this was just like a like a mutiny thing. Right. Guess not, because that's kind of how it starts is like the early moments of the game. There's these like two, two or three guys that are trying to break into the captain's cabin to kill him. Um, and so like the first death is one of those guys because uh, the captain like busts down the door and shoots him. Mm. Um, so it's like the first death that you investigate. Um, 
so I like narratively it's really strong and it makes you feel really smart as you figure things out. It's not an easy game. It's very okay. difficult. Um I am a little sad that at the end when it became feasible to do so, it became a game of trial and error like mm. cuz every 3 fates, like the complete fate of the person, the name, how they died, who killed them, um every 3 that you have right it will lock those into place. So gotcha. you can like punch a bunch of stuff in and just and guess then, and, and then yeah. guess and then it'll lock those three in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to do that a couple times, um, especially towards the end when like, cause we could have done the, the due diligence of going back through the memories. But the problem with the game is that, cause there's a lot of like really smart keyboard shortcuts and ways to navigate the book that make it really quick and easy, but you can't play the death scenes and the, and enter the dioramas from the book. Um, you can only look at where you can initiate the death scene from because you have mm-hmm. to initiate the death scene with the pocket watch on their body. Mm-hmm. So like you have, it's like a lot of like okay, got to pull out of the book, got to walk slowly gotta around go this place. ship because yeah. there's no sprint; it's just walking. Got to walk slowly around the ship, find their body, and then jump into it. Um, so that leads to some frustration. So like towards the end, we were just sick of doing that. And we're like, yeah. okay, well, we're at a point now where we can trial and error the rest of this and sure. figure it out. Um, so that's kind of what we did towards the end a couple times. But uh, like uh, a lot like a lot of really cool ways of figuring out. Like there's this one scene in like an area where all their bunks are. Um, well, like really the, their hammocks are. And uh, – my friend realized that all the hammocks had tags with numbers on them. And on, in the manifest, every person is assigned a number. So mm-hmm. the tags correspond to the numbers in the manifest. And mm-hmm. we were able to figure out a couple of people or like, like who was in the scene. And then we actually used that information much, much later to help determine who another person was. So it's like a lot of, sometimes it feels like you're keeping a lot of information in your head at once. Yeah. But that usually means that, there's something you should know already. Like you should be able okay. to figure something else out and then narrow that information down. And the way it kind of lets you know that is in the book, when you hover over a person's face from one of the pictures, they'll be blurred out. And that means you don't have enough information to figure out who they are. If it's like nice and crisp, then you do have enough information. And it kind of has like a three star system as to like how hard that person is to guess okay. given the amount of information you have. Um, so like, at the end, we guessed. We went like through and like found all the one stars first, and then went for the two stars, and then the three stars, um, to kind of make it easier on us. But like, there are like maps of like you're drawing a map for the location of each diorama, like where the ship is. So there's one where like some people escape, so you have to use the position of the ship to determine like where they might have made landfall and assign that to their fate, like because mm-hmm. they're still alive. Um, it was really really crazy, and then. There's one chapter that's locked the whole game, and it says, like, once you submit your report, this chapter will become unlocked. So we mm-hmm. found all the fates, um, except for, like, a couple that were left. I think it was, like, two. Um, and uh, so then, like, we left the ship, went through this little cutscene where some other stuff happened, some story-related things happen, um, and then it uh, you get the book back in your possession in the pocket watch and another thing. And you're able to then go watch the last couple of memories in that last chapter that's been locked. And it kind of like, it fills out some more of the gaps in the story, um, in kind of a neat way. It's just a really, really fascinating experience on 
narrative experience, like how storytelling can work. Um, in and like how, a how long setting? How long did it take you guys to beat it? Um, well, let me check Steam because that Cause it's, tell me it's on PC only. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Um, seven hours. Okay. Yeah, so not, not horrible. Long. Yeah. Um, yeah, it took seven hours. So not bad at all. Um, yeah, just and the game's got a really strong look too. Hmm. It's like um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a comic book panel if everything was like a sepia tone. So it's right. like a lot of varying shades. And then, because you know how like old school comics was like the colors were made of like dots, essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. yep so yep. it's like a lot of that. Everything is created from dots like that. Okay. Um, and like the, the score, fantastic music. Some really, really great music. Hmm. Um, I have to check that out. And it, yeah. I mean, it sounds like something that at least my computer could run. <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. Um, it's very good. Highly Sweet. recommend. I like whatever list of games I wind up having this year. I'm sure that will be on it. Cool. So, uh, and then I played. I got Battlefield Five. Mm-hmm. So I played the single player. Um, there are three vignettes um, from like different participating sides in World War Two. Um, they're each about an hour and a half to two hours long, depending on how you play them. And what it is, is like you're a character and they dump you into this giant open area, much like how Bad Company 2 was structured. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of like, this is your objective. Do it however you want. Like you gun okay. your way in, sneak your way in, however. Um, and I found that to be really refreshing. I do kind of miss like an actual story. Well, yes, yeah. I I miss an actual story, and I miss, but like I mean, the characters were very interesting. I okay. just wish I got to spend more time with each of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, I do kind of miss your corridor story based first person shooter. Right. Um, but this was fun. It was like a fun return to like the bad company days. Um, and like obviously you know destructibility is insane because mm-hmm. it's battlefield and that's what they do. Um. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. There's there's one character who has uh, skis, like snow skis. And mm-hmm. so there's like a big open area, so you can actually use those to like go ah. between areas much quicker. Yeah. Um, and one of the objectives was I had to sneak around and plant these bombs on these like fuel cans or destroy these trucks or something. Um, yeah, it was destroy some trucks, but there were fuel cans by them, so I planted bombs on the fuel cans, and uh, I could remotely detonate them. Which, World War Two, nah, but... Um, <laughs> I think it was like she had an infinitely long wire okay. that she could uh, use a plunger with. Um, so I, I planted the bombs in, the, in both places, and then a guy spotted me like mm. right after I planted the second bomb because um, I didn't realize he was there. And then it's so, like bullets start flying. I'm on like a ship, like a battleship, uh, like frozen in the ice. And so I jump off the ship. Like, take a bunch of fall damage, mm-hmm. and then, like, I'm like, plunge, 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 and, like, <laughs> boof, 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 like, the bombs start going off. I equip my snow skis, and I yeah. ski across this ice lake as, like, bullets are whizzing by me. It was fucking dope. That's it was cool. a really cool moment. Um, so, Battlefield, still really, really good. Um, there is a fourth vignette that mm-hmm. is, I believe, you play as a German, um, and that drops on December 4th. So and it's tomorrow free, from the day this goes up, yes, yeah, it's just cool. like yeah, and, and also they uh, like there's a shooting range that drops on right. the fourth as well, and then I think on the sixth 
is when their battle royale equivalent comes out. Oh, I didn't realize um, it was this soon. Okay, yeah, I thought it was. It's like, in December. Gotcha. All right. I think it's, it's the sixth or the sixteenth. Have you played Something the multiplayer like at all? Yes. Yeah. Um, my wife yeah. does not want me to play the multiplayer anymore. Oh boy. Because. You get mad. I get very angry. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. Did you break your hand? Uh, no, uh, almost. I'm sure I've come close to breaking my mouse at some point. Um, I don't know, man. Like, so the battlefield's always been like really chaotic. Um, yeah. Just because like all, like all the destructibility, like there's like planes and there's vehicles and it's massive and it's crazy. That's all still here, but you die so much faster in this one. Mm. Um, and I've heard they're going to patch it so that players have more health okay. or like guns do less damage because people are complaining about it because it's just like, I can't do anything, man. Yeah. That makes it tough because in call of duty, when it's smaller maps, more one-on-one engagements, then it's fine to die instantly. That's the way it works. But in a big open space like battlefield, you you need to have a little bit of reaction time where you can try to run right. away or fight back and. Yeah, that when bullets can come from so many angles, that makes it less fun if you die right. just instantly. Yeah, and the thing about Call of Duty is like you really learn the maps, you learn the avenues, the corridors, right. Uh, right. where people where tend guys to, are going to be. The map yeah. flow, yeah. you learn that. This there is no map flow because the the uh, the uh, oh god, what uh, I I hate my brain. Um, the landscape is constantly okay. changing. Um, oh, just from like buildings crashing. Yeah, because like stuff buildings like are blowing up and the vehicles like are mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. all the time, and it's so hard to like get a read on the map flow because it's so different every single time. Um, and that, I think that's part of what makes it so chaotic. And I think that's why Call of Duty finds a lot of success because, uh, for the most part, you know what to expect. Like right. you come up with gameplay like I know this corner so well that I'm going to have my gun aimed at this level as I come around it because odds yep. are someone's going to be coming down the stairs. Yeah. Like that's what's f- fun in smear quotes about Call of Duty is is learning that kind of like repetition or by repetition um and just getting into a good flow. And I feel like with Battlefield, that's so much more difficult because uh, too many unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if like increasing the health is really going to make a difference for me personally. I just don't know how much more I'm going to play of it. I am very excited to play the new vignette. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Because like, I, so f- like the narrative stuff that they do is really strong. It's just too short. Right. And it's a shame. Um, so as part of my moving on from Red Dead, I started the Spyro Reignited Collection. Yeah. So I beat the first game, and I have almost beaten the second game already, because I've played a lot of Spyro. How um, long do those take? They're not insanely long. I honestly couldn't I couldn't try to estimate. I mean, maybe eight hours per game. Okay. Maybe, Did you maybe a little them? bit more. Um, no. Okay. So I got, I got close in the first game, and I'm... So kind of the the tack that I'm taking is I'm just doing it to have fun. Right. A lot of times, like I'm not going to go to a world multiple times. So in the first game, when I'm in a world, I'm going to get all the dragons. And then I'll try to get all the gems. And if I see them 
I'll go after them. But if I get to the end of it and I've gotten all the dragons, but I'm missing like six gems, I'm not going to try to find those. I don't right. care that much. So that, that's been a better thing for me because I am exploring like every nook and cranny to f- try to find everything the first time, but I don't want to slow down my experience so much. Or, like go back to an earlier level just to try to get more gems. Right. Um, so it's weird because the, the games are more different than I remember them being the first two. And we'll see what the third game is like. Cause I don't have a strong memory of that one, but the first game I would say this is as faithful an update as you could make both in the positive and negative way. So the game looks beautiful. Like it looks like a Ratchet and Clank, modern Ratchet and Clank game. Just it's super colorful and um, the animations are great. There's a ton of personality. They updated all of the, the dragons that you rescue to make them all unique looking and give them all unique voices. And that is awesome. But the camera sucks just because it's like it's hard to move and navigate. You you have your, you know, your square button is your rush kind of attack, your headbutt right. attack. And that, like, whenever you instigate it, he doesn't go exactly straight the direction that he's facing. It's like a slight movement. And so I rarely use it and start going where I want to go. It's kind of it's kind of hard to explain, but it's it's annoying. The flying levels, which I remember as being terrible are still terrible where like <laughs> it just dumps you in and you're, you're flying and you have to like go through all the rings and you know, torch a bunch of train enemies and all that. Like I just hate those. I 100% at all of them. I got everything in every, in all of them, but it wasn't fun. <laughs> and then the final boss, basically in order to beat him, you have to use the rush attack the whole time and like navigate some movement stuff. And there's, it's like a three pronged bit. So you have to chase down this one dude to get a key, and they have to chase down this other dude to get a key, and they have to chase down the enemy and torch him a couple of times. And if you fail, you have to start all over again. There's no, like, save in between sections. And, I mean, it took me maybe five, six tries total to get through it, but that became not fun. And that it was so reliant on just the rush attack the whole time, like... There's no, like, platforming. It's just you have to run and navigate some tight turns and not fall off the edge and blah, 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 and get enough speed to catch up to, you know, cut corners and that kind of thing, where you don't, you rarely do that in the game before that boss fight. Then okay. it just feels weird. Um, but all that being said, I had an absolute blast playing through the first game. It's just, you know, there's some of that nostalgia, but it also just is a good game. Like, if this was a new game that came out, I would still have the same criticisms that I had, but I wouldn't feel like it's a game from a different era. Like, I could see this existing in modern video games. In a way that um, Ukulele did not. Exactly. So, Ukulele, even though it is, it was a new game, it was so trying to ape the old mechanics that it failed in a lot of ways and made those mechanics kind of obvious as being outdated versus this game where it's less, I mean, it's an easier game. It's a much easier game overall. The second game has gotten a little bit more difficult, but the first game in particular is not hard at all. And that kind of helps because there isn't as much platforming. It's more about like figuring out how to get to where you need to go versus the actual execution of doing that thing. And the combat's not difficult. You just torch everything or headbutt everything, and it's it's pretty easy. Right. So that it's not a totally fair comparison between this and ukulele, but ukulele just fails in so many of its mechanics 
where Spyro doesn't have to deal with those. So in that aspect, like that's part of why I feel like Spyro could exist now. I, I will say another thing that was really tedious, which is still existent in the second game, is the gliding. There are too many instances where you have to get the gliding exactly right in order to make it to the place where you're trying to go, and that's not fun. So, like, you have to start, you have to jump and start your glide at the exact millisecond peak of your jump in order to make it the distance that you need to go. And that just, like, it's more frustrating than fun. Like, I never feel like I accomplished something when I do it right because you're doing it so often. And it's more just annoying when I don't get it right because then I have to run all back up the stairs and do the whole thing over again. Yeah. That's been fixed a bit in the second game, Ripto's Rage, because they added a button. So, like, when you're gliding, you can press triangle to do, like, a quick updraft. And that really has solved that problem. So you okay. can glide. And if you're going to be short, you can updraft it a little bit and, and land. So that they clearly saw that this was a mistake and fixed it. The issue is, in a remaster, you probably could have added that yeah, to the first game. Yeah, you could have added that to the first game. So, I don't know. Maybe it was just, it would have made the gliding too easy if they did it. Because the game wasn't originally designed for that aspect. But, I don't know. That's a, it's a small criticism. But the second game is pretty significantly different in its... Not in its structure, because you're still, like, in a big world, and you go to individual level worlds, and it still has the flying levels, which still fucking suck, and in a lot of ways are even worse, because it feels like you're flying faster in the second game, which just makes it more difficult. But, there, it's it's more Metroidvania, so, like, you have a couple new powers that you get throughout the game, where you need to backtrack if you want to get hidden stuff in the earlier levels. So, like, you eventually are able to climb up ladders, And there are several points in a couple of new earlier levels where there are ladders that you can't climb. And so that's just, like, annoying. There are a couple levels that I just beat yesterday, or I just played, I should say, where there are enemies that I can't defeat. Because I need a new power, like a new upgraded headbutt in order to beat them. So if I want to beat those guys at 100% that level, I'm going to have to go back to it later. And so that, because I don't really want to do that, it just makes it feel like... I'm not able to play the game I want to play or the way I want to play it. Up That's front. why I have never liked those kinds of mechanics. Is because yeah. like again, it, like it doesn't respect your time. It's like a little tease for the things to come, right? But then you have to go back and do a thing. Like who who wants to do that? Yeah, nobody it's, wants it's, to do that. It's just a lazy way of extending the amount of game time you get out of it. It's definitely more frustrating than it is fun. I feel like I would have a less of an issue with this if I was more just like, I'm going to play this game as long as I want. And not that I'm like trying to rush through, but I'm not wasting time on a bunch of side stuff or like going back and redoing stuff. If this was the only game I was playing and I had infinite amount of hours to do that and I wanted 100%, I'd probably care a little bit less. But part of it is like it's not easy to go back because there are so many individual worlds and the open world area is so big and like um, tons of different corridors and ways to get everywhere that I like I would get lost trying to think which world was that I needed to go to again. And then when you go back to the world, you start it over. So, like, you don't have to get all the same gems again, but you need to accomplish the goal again. Like, you know, there's a level, a water level, where you need to unlock a bunch of gates and fill the whole thing up with water, which water underwater stuff still sucks ass, which they introduce in the second game. There are a lot of underwater sections, and they fucking suck, because underwater underwater levels suck in literally every video game ever. Stop making underwater levels. So, it I'm almost done with this one. sucks in Subnautica. 
That's the whole game. But <laughs> yeah. it sucks for a different reason. Well, it's there, there, are, there are some exceptions where underwater is fine in an all underwater game, like in uh, Abzu. Like the underwater movement in that yeah. game is really good, but that's the entire game. We've talked about this before. Yes. But I'm excited to finish the second one and jump into the third one to see how it's different. Because in the second game, like you're in an alternate. Not alternate reality, but like an alternate galaxy almost. So you're not rescuing dragons. It's a totally different. You're trying to collect talismans from all these different things. So I'm like, I don't remember the third game at all. So I'm like, wh- how? what's the third game going to be? Am I going back to rescuing dragons or what's it like? So that's been fun to see the progression between those two games. So we'll see. I, I My goal is to finish the second and beat all the way through the third for our next podcast. I'm really trying to like segment out my time and when I'm beating things so that I can... I'm not going to beat everything I need to beat by the end of the year, but at least I don't want it to take me until April like it has in the past. So I'm trying to regiment my game playing and when I'm beating stuff, how much time I'm committing to try to get through as many games as possible. (laughs) Yeah. Still waiting on that Croc remaster. Someday, man. Still waiting. Yeah, maybe someday. Uh, So any other games? Uh, Just playing a little bit more uh, Animal Crossing New Leaf. You buy any more Amiibo cards? Um, I have not bought any more, but we uh-huh. finally got our Series 4 book in. Oh, so we boy. got to open all the Series 4 cards that we had bought and then put it in there. All right. So, so now you have even more m- missing things? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. It's on your Christmas list. We're getting there. <laughs> um, so as far as watching things, I know I mentioned last episode that I was almost done with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I finished that, so I wanted to go ahead and talk about that. It's it's good. It's a good show. It's a little cheesy at times, but it's a good show. It's a good and bad show. It goes show. places. It's a good what? Good bad a, show? Yeah. yeah. It definitely goes places, which shouldn't be surprising for anyone that's watched it. But in terms of like the characters, it goes places where it hasn't before. So like I mean, I don't want to, even though it's over a year old, I don't want to, like, spoil it for, for folks that are watching. But, like, Fitz does some stuff yeah, that you would finally. not expect Fitz to do. Um, and there's a thing that happens with Fitz at the end where I was like, holy shit, didn't expect that. They undo it a little bit, in like, leading into season six. Or it looks like one of the, the storylines of season six will undo what happens with Fitz at the end. But it was still pretty crazy when it happened. Um all the Deke stuff is awesome. So they bring, you know, we talked about Deke, who is the, like, Han Solo-esque character in the future. And they yeah. find a way to bring him back into the past, which felt a little flimsy, but fine, because I liked the character, so I'm glad he stuck around. Felt like towards the end they kind of didn't know what to do with him anymore. Right. And so he was just kind of a passive observer a lot, and he would occasionally pop in with a little witticism. But, uh... I just really like the character. And they made a good... They tied him in to the larger cast in a really cool way, um, which justified some story things of how the modern day ties into the future and them how trying to undo the future, what would manifest if they did undo the future, that kind of thing, which is pretty neat. Uh, there was a whole thing with Yo-Yo that happened in the future that you see toward right before they go back into the modern day. And yeah. her character certainly does some stuff. Yeah, uh, that, it's pretty crazy. It's fucked um, up. Yeah, it's it it gets dark as hell in some spots, which was really surprising for a show that like doesn't always take itself super seriously. Right. But then sometimes it does. It's a bit inconsistent in that aspect. Um, 
so there's a whole thing where they the you know once they're back in the modern day which is kind of the back half of the season they start bringing back a lot of old characters and referencing old characters which lost me a bit just because i've been such a like casual viewer of this show which is it's rare for me i'm usually super invested in my shows but this is such a casual show for me that like i just don't remember a lot of old characters anymore right me and so whenever they reference stuff or like oh it's some cliffhanger end of episode where this dude's back and i'm like i don't remember who that is so a lot (laughs) of that was lost on me yeah Uh, but i appreciate them doing that they're building the world that sort of thing I'm glad they didn't bring Ward back. <laughs> like it feels too. like ev- every season they Ugh. found a way to bring him back cuz you know in the in the when they were in the um not the animus. <laughs> what what was the place called? The 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 technology computer world. Yeah, what was that called? Uh, I don't remember. But in that like he is alive in that one and so there's you know they brought that character back for that. You know, they brought him back in the season three when he was Husk or whatever, the Hive or that villain took over his body. Like, they were just trying to keep that actor on the show. So I'm glad they stopped. Love that actor and loved that character, but it's ready to move on. Speaking of, I don't want to spoil this. No, I will because I feel like they've already already talked about this in public. But Coulson's gone. He's off the show. It And I'm really sad. Because he's like the core of the show, the main right. character. They, I feel like his departure was well handled and surprising. Like they, you know, there's a whole like sad moment at the end where they're kind of reminiscing, and you think they're talking about a different character, and then oh, they're talking about Coulson. Right. So that I thought was really well done. Uh, but I'm super bummed. Like obviously, I'm going to continue to watch it, but like. It's going to be missing a really big part of the show because a lot of the other characters can be quite annoying in their like mannerisms and like decisions. Like I disagree and I'm I like roll my eyes at a lot of them. Like uh, freaking no, I keep wanting to call her Sky. What's her name? Daisy. Daisy. Thank you. I keep wanting to call her Sky from season one. <laughs> Daisy. She just she's an idiot sometimes. And yeah. She's a bad leader, which is part of the character, it's part of the story. Right. But she just gets on my nerves sometimes. And like uh May gets on my nerves with her kind of hard headedness and um see it shows how how casual a viewer I am. I'm already remembering like all the characters' names. The big black <laughs> dude, what's his name? That's dating yo yo. Yep. Yep. Big black guy. So he's and I, I like that character, uh Henry? No. No. But I like that character because he is like a really strong Christian and they aren't afraid to like talk about that, which is pretty rare on modern television because I feel like Christians get a really bad rap a lot. Also, shotgun ass. Oh, that's the actor's name. The actor's name is Henry. Um, What's the character's name? Mac. Mac, yes. Yeah. Mac Um, and his shotgun axe. Yeah, Shotgun X, which is really good. But anyway, I really like that character and how he talks about his faith a lot, and that's cool. But sometimes I roll my eyes because he's, like, too much of a, like, up on a pedestal thinking he's better than, like, you know, we're we're better than this. Like, he says that all the time, and that gets on my nerves a little bit. Like, sometimes you need to make the hard choices, Mac. Right. Which, again, it's part of the character. That's part of what makes it so compelling, but he annoys me a bit. All that to say, all the characters annoy me at times, except for Coulson. He's right. like the one shining beacon, that leader that the team needs to keep everybody together. And now that he's gone, like, I don't know where they go from here. Like, I don't know how they make all of this work without him to center everything. But I'm excited to see. 
I'm excited well, to see where they take the, it. The weird thing is that like every single character, they've given a chance to be a leader at some point, and they've all yeah. failed at it yeah. in the show. Yeah, that's true. So like they've all already failed at being a leader, so I don't know who... Or well, it's, I mean, it's going to be Mac. They, they, that was part of the the way yeah. they wrapped it up. They, oh, they said, true. Mac, you're you're the new director of Shield, which was a cool moment too, because the whole time Coulson's like Daisy, 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 it's you, you got to take over, and then she quickly proves that she's not capable of that. She's not a good leader, and so she's like, no, it should be Mac. He is our ethical center. He needs to be the guy, and I like that. So I, but I'm, I, I'm I like I like Mac as the voice in the ear, not the brain, right? You know sure. what I mean? Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, that's so, a good point. I don't know. It's a good point. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it. I I was very sad when I was done with the season because I wanted to watch more of it. So yeah. I have to wait now until season six comes to Netflix, which probably won't happen for another six months or so. And by that point, I'll have forgotten everything I watched about season five and I'll have to start <laughs> all over. But uh, yeah, man, it's one of those shows that like i just and it's you know they renewed it for season seven already which is awesome like it's one of those shows that i'm not gonna get sick of it as absolutely ridiculous as the story gets and like there's a lot of fourth wall breaking where they like reference how stupid some of the stuff happens uh, some of the stuff is that happens i'm not sick of it yet and i don't see that happening anytime soon um so continue watch scrubs where we just started season three now all right so I've noticed this about myself just in general, where as I get older, I become a lot more like emotionally available maybe or like more in touch with my emotions. Because like in the past, shows didn't really affect me emotionally. And now they do a lot. Like I tear up watching shows a lot. And I think it's even more compounded by like thinking that I'm going to be not thinking, knowing I'm going to be a father soon. Which just like, like little commercials. There's a commercial that I've seen a bunch of times and it gets me every single freaking time. I think it's for the Amazon Alexa. And it's this whole thing where it's this a dad with his young daughter where he plays like his favorite song. And he's like, hey, this is my favorite song, blah, blah, blah. And then it shows little vignettes as the song plays of them interacting as she grows up. And then there's a moment at the end where they're dropping her off at college. And he has that, like, last little hug with her as he's getting ready to leave his little girl. She's an adult now on her own. And it's this, like, really touching moment. And he leaves. And she's, like, sitting there, like, all sad. And she says, Alexa, play Dad's playlist. And it starts playing his song as she just, like, lays in her room and, like, thinks about it. I fucking lose it every single time when I see that commercial because I'm just like in the future. That's going to be me one day. And it's like, oh, my, I cannot imagine. Yeah, someday your dad's going to drop you off at college yeah, and yeah. you'll listen to his playlist. <laughs> no, but like, and it's, I mean, it, it, like it's something that you, you don't get, obviously, and I don't right. get it yet, but I'm starting to think about that kind of thing. Relating that back to Scrubs. I cry like every other damn episode when I watch this show now just because I feel so much more emotional. Like I watched the episodes of season two where the lady dies and that the last scene is that like Broadway a song, the yeah. any minute now. And I was just like just tears streaming. I've seen that episode 40 times, probably more. And I still – I was losing it the whole time. I am terrified of the episode when – uh, Brendan Fraser's Brendan character Fraser. dies. I was about I to ask terrified. if you were there. I'm not there yet. I am terrified of getting that episode because I'm going to lose my mind when it happens. Ugh. 
And then there's that dogs show, that first episode that we watched that I was just like on the verge of sobbing the entire time with the little kids that were special needs. We watched the second episode. And I feel like we're going to watch an episode every other week because that show is just... This one was a little less engaging to me emotionally. It was about the Syrian refugee who moves to Berlin. Well, escapes to Berlin. But his dog, his husky, had to stay behind in Syria where there's like this really awful war happening. And so he's trying to smuggle his dog to him. And I think part of it was like he was just not super interesting. Like he was kind of personality-less. So I connected with him a little bit less. But that that dog beautiful dog he's a very good boy and his his <laughs> master was reunited with him and he was really nervous because like he left him a couple of years ago when the dog was a puppy and his friend had been watching him so he was like i don't know if he's gonna remember me and as soon as the dog sees him and it's been like two years yeah. as soon as the dog sees him it loses its mind and it's just like such a heartwarming moment it's a really good documentary <laughs> <laughs> if you want to cry like i do nowadays it's really good and then finally, well, no, I, I've got a couple more actually. So, so what about you? What have you been watching? So I thought I was watching the final season of Supernatural, but it turns out there's another season airing currently. Uh, that so, happened. <laughs> so I, I, I yeah. finished season thirteen, and like it was like really ramping up at the end, mm. and then it ends on a cliffhanger. Oh. And I was like, what? Yeah, that is not how they end the show. Right. And then I looked up and like season fourteen began airing. Da-da. I was like, oh damn it! <laughs> so I so was like getting all into it, and it was yeah. it was good. But I was like getting all into it, and there's a Scooby Doo episode where like they enter like there's like a haunted TV, and they like enter a <laughs> Scooby Doo episode, and then, so, so it's stupid. them in a Scooby Doo episode. Yeah, but like there's like a the haunted TV is like. It's actually killing people mm-hmm. in the in the TV thing. It's like it's a Scooby Doo episode, but people are actually dying. It's not yeah. just a dude in a mask with like a projector. I would have gotten uh, away and, with it too. <laughs> the right? TV it, it, says. Exactly. And so, uh, um, like it's the two the Sam and Dean uh, Winchester and um, uh, Cass Castiel the Angel, of course. Um, okay. They like it's the three of them in a Scooby Doo cartoon, like trying to convince the gang that ghosts are real, uh, and like eventually, like sh- enough shit happens that the gang finally buys it, and they're like having this existential crisis, like ghosts have been real the whole time. We're useless. We're not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, no, like no, maybe ghosts aren't real. Feel better. Um, and it's just like this really funny series of moments. Uh, and cause it turns out that like Dean is a really big Scooby-Doo fan and he always had the hots for, um, what is it? Oh God. Daph, uh, no Velma. Cause Daphne's one of the glasses, right? Yes. Yeah. He always had the hots for Velma. So he doesn't like, um, Fred cause Fred and Velma right. are together. And he's like, I don't get what Velma sees in Fred. And he's such a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then uh, Daphne winds up being way into Sam Winchester. Mm. And Sam is a little put off by being hit on by a cartoon character. Right. Um, but yeah, that's so many, so many, so many, so many good Supernatural episodes. So is season 14 going to be the final season? Yes. Okay. So they say. Right. I think it's about time. 14 seasons. It's a lot. Yeah. That's a great... Oh, I love that show. It's another good bad show. Yes. Another great bad show. Yeah. 
Um, I also watched the Pokemon Indigo League, the entirety of it, while I was playing Red Dead 2. Okay. Um, so I started playing it while I was replaying the sections that I had lost, uh, gotcha. and then I just let it play while I played, just as a little bit of background noise. Show's awesome. It's on um, Netflix, right? Yep. Yeah. So I got to the episode with Mr. Mime, and I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. All right, Mrs. Yeah. Ca- or Miss, Miss Ketchum. Mm-hmm. See what's going on here. Get that mime action. Mm-hmm. Um, and then normally I wouldn't bother mentioning the anime that I'm watching, but the wife and I just finished an anime called Hina Matsuri. Um, it is the funniest anime we have ever seen. It is freaking hilarious. So, so what's the, the what's the concept? The setup is a young girl with blue hair because anime. Yep. Um, arrives in a pod. In this mafia dude's apartment, like his penthouse apartment. Okay. Um, and he's like not necessarily like a really bad guy, but he's kind of selfish and he's worked for the mafia his whole like adult life and he's like really, he's really in, in it. And it's kind of an absurd show. It's a comedy show. It's supposed to be funny. Okay. Um, so it doesn't take that aspect of it very seriously. But this girl has like superpowers. Like she can float and move stuff with her mind. She has like telekinesis. Mm. Um, and she has like kind of short crop, well, like, chin length blue hair and she's whatever Anna I don't know all the names for these anime archetypes but she's the one who like it's always like a blank face she talks like this and da 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 it's like that anime archetype okay and so there's a lot of funny situations about like her not emoting or like saying things in like a funny way um and then like it turns out like there's other girls with powers that have bring that are being sent here by this organization and like they're trying to get to her and they have they wind up off their own track and have their own life experiences that are like really touching or funny uh, and then they all kind of interact in funny ways but the crux of it is about her uh Hina and uh Nita I think is the dude's name Hina and Nita um and they just have so many fun moments like he eventually like warms up to her and like begrudgingly uh and like mm-hmm. becomes like a father figure and like kind of calls her his daughter and stuff like that so there's like there's like a lot of touching moments in there too but it's like just a lot of really funny moments like you know the thing where the dad will pick up the kid by the armpits and like whirl him around in a circle right so they feel like they're flying so he does that and they're having this awesome moment and there's like stars in their eyes and it's like this twinkly music and they're laughing and even she's like ha 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 <laughs> like having a good time and he's like oh i'm in love he's swinging her around his apartment and then he's smacks her feet into like the wall on accident (laughs) there's just this moment where like it's like a freeze frame where he's like uh and then like she and she's just like oh it's just like oh it's a fucking funny show uh and there's this whole thing where like she pretends to run away um or she's going to run away but then realizes that there's nowhere for her to go so she like comes back to him and it's really touching and she walks back into his apartment she's like nita i'm home i decided to come back and like he has he's by himself and he's like popping a champagne bottle and he has like one of the (laughs) kazoos in his mouth and a party hat it's all decorated like like uh like bachelor's life and stuff on the wall and he's like and then she walks in and he sees her and he's just like Oh, and at the end of the episode is her. She's just like, not cool. <laughs> it's just, oh, fucking funny. Fucking, oh, what a good show. <laughs> Watching so many good shows lately. Whew. Um, good times. Yeah. Uh, 
So I'll, I have two more. So we finished Ultimate Beastmaster, which I forgot that we were ah. watching. We needed like a Saturday night show. Uh, it was weird because like some of the competitors were really good, but by and large, a lot of them weren't like they didn't succeed as well as in previous seasons. Like there were a lot of guys that were, I was clearly like these guys don't stand a chance of winning this thing. And there was a huge upset with the guy that was like the favorite and he screwed up. So he was like taken out of the finale and the guy that won was really surprising. So it was still like fun and, you know, a surprising way to end it. But in general, I was like, I don't know. A lot of these guys just aren't as good as some of the guys we've seen in previous seasons. And then because we finished Top Chef, we wanted a new cooking show. Netflix just released a cooking show called The Final Table. And it's pretty good. So it's a different kind of show because Top Chef is like a bunch of up-and-coming chefs. They pit them against each other, challenges every week, blah, blah, blah. This is more like an, uh, the upper echelon of chefs. So these are a lot of chefs that like have a Michelin star or already are really, really successful competing against each other to join even higher upper, upper echelon chefs of like the guys and girls who are the best chefs in the world, like a couple of chefs in there from different countries that like have three Michelin star restaurants, which is the best you can possibly have. Like people that have restaurants ranked in the top 50 in the world. Like this, it's a a different level of competition than what we see on top chef. But it was cool because it's all teams of two that they pick their own team and then they go through and each episode is a different country and so that country, there is a dish that's selected that's a famous dish that you have to make that are judged by celebrities and food critics from that country. And then the people that don't make it through, like the worst people in that challenge, have to cook again and they have to use a, a particular ingredient from that country. And the judge is that like super famous chef from that country. So, for example, one of the episodes is the United States. And the, the food that they have to make the first time is Thanksgiving dinner. They have to do their adaptation of Thanksgiving dinner. And then the people that don't succeed go to the finale. I'm trying to remember what they had to make. What what ingredient they had to use. A pea? I think maybe it was a... No, I don't remember. But it was a particular ingredient that they had to use from America. Uh, so anyway, it was just like a... It was cool to watch this show because it's... All of these chefs are better than the chefs you see on Top Chef. So just, like, okay. the, the quality of food and the presentation is, like, pretty amazing. Uh, and so we watched that entire season, and, and the guy that won we really liked. So it was cool. And now we are, again, without a competition show because we marathoned through that one really quickly. Oh, so we geez. have to find something else to watch. <laughs> you guys need to slow down. I know. There's but not enough like, TV left for you. I know, dude. It's like we're when we're together and we watch something, we're either watching Scrubs or we're watching a competition show. And so we just, there were only 10 episodes. We just raced through it. Oh, well. It was really yeah. good. It happens. So anything else? Um, Movies. Yeah. So uh, the wife and I watched Outlaw King, the uh, Chris Pine Netflix movie about um, the King of Scotland. Right. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it was Scotland. So he does an amazing accent. Okay. Like a like a really really good accent, as in like it's hard to understand him, which means it's really good. <laughs> it's authentic. Yeah, it's authentic. Um, it's just like, I think like everybody in that movie was very good. Hmm. It was a it was a good movie. At times it moved like some of the events moved a little quickly, 
Um, I honestly feel like this is something that could have been a like a Netflix show, and maybe it could have benefited okay. from it because some of the things they kind of had to like glance past or gloss over like really quickly, mm. um, and, it, and it ends kind of abruptly uh, as well. Like it, it seems like there was almost another movie in the epilogue text slides. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Um, and it kind of it does the thing where like this person went on to do this and this and this and then this person went on to do right. this and yeah. yada yeah it was like, like that show us crap. that yeah yeah exactly um so I don't know, maybe it could have benefited from being a, a show but it, it was strong movie hmm. actually kind of I, I recommend it i think chris pine does like really good job hmm. as someone who's only ever i think has only ever seen him in the star uh, star trek stuff um he did a really did good job. Did you see Jack Ryan? I think it was. It was like an action movie. No. Okay. Hmm. Well, you saw Wonder Woman, didn't you? No. Oh, well then, yeah. Oh, yeah I've seen him in a couple other things, but yeah, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. I, I heard he was pretty good in Wonder Woman. Hell or High Water. That movie from, I think it was like two years ago. He's amazing in that movie. Okay. That was my favorite movie that came out in, I think it was 2016. Well, now really I need good. to watch that. Very um, good. Ben Foster is also in that movie, who I think is one of the more underrated actors. Okay. Um, we also watched, directly after that, I might add, The Vault. Okay. This is a James Franco horror film. Right. That is a real sentence I just said. <laughs> yeah. It's about... <laughs> Some robbers who try to rob a bank, but it turns out the vault is haunted. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. That sounds really good. I'm it trying was. to remember if I've seen the trailer for this, because it sounds vaguely familiar, but I feel like I would remember this if I saw that trailer. Most of the movie is just James Franco making a weird face. <laughs> like a surprised face, or... No, just like there's not a single emotion that can be tied to it. Interesting. It's a complex look. <laughs> um, there's a lot of acting happening in that face. Some concern, mm-hmm. some questioning, mm-hmm. um, some, some hurt, maybe some fear? anguish. There's got to be fear. No, no fear. Interesting. Strong character. Right. It's <laughs> man. And, I mean, I called the twist at the end immediately, but um, everyone else in that movie is so bad. Oh, boy. So I mean, also James Franco is bad, but so is everybody else in that movie. Um, Yeah. Holy cow. That's a dumb movie. It sounds dumb. You should watch it. There are too many good movies I need to watch still. I've only seen, like, 16 movies this year. This I mean, movie is also good, just in the opposite, you know, definition of good. Uh, yeah. Maybe. You listening at home, it's on Netflix. <laughs> the you Vault. You will not regret it. Sounds bad. It is. Um, I just realized, or I should say I just remembered... That I saw Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> oh, no, you did? Yeah, I did. It was okay. I liked it yeah. more than the first movie. Really? Which I was I was sort of like 
I was lukewarm on the first one. It was fine, right. but I had a lot of problems with it. I think I like this one more because it felt a little bit more uh, focused from a story perspective. Okay. There's a lot of exposition that happens in the third act, like a lot of reveals of who characters really are and how things tie into other things. There's a yeah. lot that happens in like one scene, which is I've pretty bad. There's poorly. like a little bit of retconning of the actual Harry Potter fiction that goes yeah. on in that movie. There, there's that, a lot. There's a lot bit. There's a there's a shit ton bit of retconning. How the fuck did that movie get made then? Yeah. So what the I, fuck? I was texting a buddy of mine. You ruined my board game, <laughs> and you ruined my cannon. <laughs> I was texting a buddy of mine who's a big uh, Harry Potter fan as well, just about because after I came out, I was like, what the hell? How? Why? What? And he was like, well, I think there are a couple ways like that where this makes sense. And I was like, no, dude, no, it's dumb. I don't want to spoil it here just because it's still a pretty new release, and I'm sure some folks are still going to see it. But maybe I maybe I'll just tell you off air, Kyle, if you're not planning on seeing this, because it's it's stupid. It is stupid. It's Harry Potter is now Star Wars and the bad kind because everyone is related to everyone. It's so dumb and lame. And that is very frustrating. But the overall story about it being Grindelwald rising to power, how Newt is trying to take him down is much better done in this. There's a bit less focus on um, that kid that has a weird name, the Obscurus guy. Yeah. He's still involved, but he's, it's like, he, and he ties into the end in a big way. Prudence. Credence. 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 But like it, the, the, the main story is a little bit less hinged on him specifically. Like they're kind of, they're trying to find him. So he's pretty integral, but like it's more of the other characters. There are less side scenes just of him. Cause I just think that actor is really bad. Everything I've seen him in, he's been terrible. He was terrible as the flash. He's terrible as this character, but uh, I have warmed a lot more to Newt. Cause I think that the dude that plays Newt Academy award winning actor is brilliant but I didn't think Newt was a very compelling character because he's very like meek and he doesn't make eye contact and he's awkward and shy and he's kind of a weak character which like is interesting but as a protagonist makes him not all that compelling I think that they did a better job writing for him in this one, and he grows a little bit more as a character. Like he finds right. That's some what I was gonna strength. say is like the fact that he was so weak in the first movie gives him a lot of room to grow, at least. Yeah. So I think that that's done much better, and they add some additional layers with some um, some backstory for him. Like his brother is in this movie, so there's an extra relationship that you learn. Like you learn a little bit more about why he is the way he is. I think all that's really well done. But the basic thing is just the structure of the movie is really poor, and the story, like the way that it's conveyed in a lot of ways, is really poor. And I think that comes down to J.K. Rowling. Like she wrote the books, they adapted the books into films where she was a consulting writer on the films, but she had her original book subject matter to draw from. With these, that doesn't exist. She is the writer who is writing a screenplay, not a book. And it is clear to me she doesn't know how to write a screenplay. She's not a screenwriter, period. She's an author. And so right. that those skills are not one and the same, and she isn't good at writing screenplays. And that's a bummer. Maybe that will get better, because apparently they've announced that this is no longer a trilogy and instead it's five movies. I don't remember oh, seeing geez. that, but I read that the other oh day and I'm just like, yeah, exactly. That was my reaction. 
And it's not like they're bad. They're just kind of like average. Like I kept forgetting this movie was coming out. And then I finally was like, I feel like I need to see it. I'm just going to go on a Saturday morning or whatever. And Kelly was like, have fun. I'm not interested. So I just went by myself. So I don't know, dude. I I liked it more than the first one, which is a fairly low bar. I think that the Fantastic Beasts aspect is done better because they're still present. Like the Niffler. Niffler? Sniffler? The Niffler is still in there. His little like Trico guy. No. So the Wudo guy is there, yeah. and he's cute, and they're they're in like little scenes. There are other bigger monsters that play into the story in, in kind of sideways. But that was part of my problem with the first movies. It felt like two movies. There was the Obscura story. There was the Tracking Down the Beast story, and those things never came together in a satisfying way. This is very clearly a Grindelwald movie. The story is about Grindelwald. The Fantastic Beasts part just kind of intersperses throughout as little side things they tie in and that i think is a much smarter way so we'll see what happens in the third movie and the fourth movie and the fifth movie but at least it's more on a more positive trajectory the movie also gets much the first fantastic beasts and where to find them got pretty dark in some ways yeah this one continues that and that part of it i like these movies have a lot more spooky vibes than the original Harry Potters did, which were much more kid-friendly. These right. ones get kind of dark in a lot of ways, and that I like because it helps differentiate from the yeah. Harry Potter stuff. And so. that you, maybe they grew up a little bit with the fan base, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably true. So I'm glad I remembered that I watched it because I'm sure people care about it. Or maybe they don't. I don't know. I'm shocked they're making this five movies because I know the first one yeah. didn't, didn't light the world on fire in terms of what it grossed, but whatever um and then finally i have read month six of the expectant father and this one was a lot more about like preparations for the actual birth since we're two-thirds of the way through and i'm excited and i'm also scared <laughs> it's basically a way to sum it up there's so just the a book lot is working yeah there's just a lot of preparations to make mentally emotionally physically spiritually financially there's just a lot to think about and that's scary but i have some good news related to one of those things that i can't talk about yet but maybe next episode i can mention that but um yeah having a child it's stressful so what do you say we talk about some news sure because there's no stress in news (laughs) right (laughs) um so we'll keep this short because i think both of us are a little sick of talking and hearing about this fallout 76 yeah i'm sure everybody i think the internet is getting to the point where they are interneted out on fallout 76 which is a good thing so i mean so there are two pieces to touch on quickly The first is there is currently a move from a law firm to try to put together a class action lawsuit against Bethesda. Can't imagine this ever gets legs because no class action against the video game publisher ever has gotten legs. But the pitch is that there was uh, an assumption that the game would be better put together than it was. That the bugginess... Um, and Bethesda's unwillingness to accept refunds goes against consumer rights, and that's kind of the core of the argument. There's been another recent story about the Fallout Special Editions where they were supposed to get this canvas bag that housed the um, uh, 
uh, armor, power armor, helmet. power armor. Thank you. The power armor helmet. And it ended up being this like cheap nylon bag. Bethesda issued an apology and said like, Oh, it was because of materials, but they're not planning on doing anything about it. They gave people like $5 worth of in-game credits, which is a pretty shitty thing to do as, as recompense for this. So that helps feed this class action lawsuit. Right. I still I cannot imagine this goes anywhere that because the canvas bag is actually like, a loot stash cosmetic item that you can get in game. Those 500 atomic credits are not enough to purchase the oh digital equivalent oh no. of the canvas bag in that is, game. That is a bad look, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are they doing over there? That's not yeah. good. That's not good. Like, not only is that not enough recompense for giving a cheap nylon bag when you, or yeah, when you promise this like cool canvas bag. Yeah, that's fucked up. But the canvas bag is in the game, and you aren't even giving them enough credits to get it in the game. Oh. Yeah. Plus, there's a whole thing about they're like social media influencers. They gave a canvas backpack as a promotional item. It's not the same right. bag. It's not the but same it is bag. A canvas it's probably backpack. not the same material. St- it's from a different still, supplier. It's just a still. bad look. It's just yeah. a really bad look. So, publicly, that sucks. it's a bad look. That sucks. I'm not going to argue that that doesn't suck. Right. Um, the second part of this is. Not, not going to defend any of yes, that. Yes, absolutely. So, obviously, Bethesda's come out and apologized for all the bugginess, blah, blah, blah. To be fair, they were pretty upfront. It doesn't necessarily excuse the bugginess, but at least they were open and saying this is going to have problems at launch. So, yeah, I'll at least give them a little bit of credit. they said that at Yes. They called the beta a break-it-early test application. And then he's like, right. and I'm sure you guys will find plenty of bugs that we haven't managed to find or whatever. Because yes. I, don't, I don't... You guys... May have read on the internet that our games tend to have some bugs. <laughs> like, f- like, uh The difficulty is... What do you expect? Excuse me. It's still a $60 game. And the whole beta, break it early test version, was pre-order only. So there's still, like, it, it still wasn't well handled. All that aside, the second part of this is... Part of Bethesda coming out and apologizing for the bugginess, blah, blah, blah. They further outlined their uh, updates that they're making this month. So we talked about this last episode about they're updating kind of service stability, some new camp enhancements and making it easier to play stuff in camps, you know, addressing the most common bugs. But they also talked about recently some like quality of life stuff. So they're increasing the size of the uh, stash storage limit from 400 to 600, which is good. Excuse me. They're increasing the damage done by automatic weapons. They're uh, which giving is very, you the, which is much needed. Yes, um, they're giving you the ability to respec your special points, uh, making that easier. A new push to talk function um, for kind of that, you know, whatever that's called, emergent voice chat stuff. Right. Um, and they're, you know, this patch is big, and their day one patch was really big. So they've kind of said, hey, we're figuring out a way to make these patches a little more manageable in terms of size. So that's all good. It still is like, what's going on over there? Like, there's a lot of fires going on at Bethesda right now, which is a bummer. Um, Yeah, they're all in different departments and sections of the company, though, that probably rarely even talk to each other, which is another problem. But um, they're clearly not sharing information internally very effectively. Yeah, and again, it just goes back to, like, it's just a bad look for this type of thing. For a game that is already didn't sell well, poor critic reviews, poor user reviews, went on sale for Black Friday just weeks after it launched, 
just not not great. Not a great situation for Fallout 76. Yeah, I might skip the Giant Bomb's hottest mess game of the year category this year because be it's just going to be a bunch of reiterating all of this information, and yeah. I don't really... I like the game of the year, their game of the year discussions because it's a lot, usually a lot of positive talk and comparing the positive aspects of games. That category can sometimes be funny, but usually it's just more sad. Um, I think I've had enough Fallout 76 chatter. Yeah. I, so, I because like, I'm going to play it, and the chatter's not going to stop me from enjoying it. So why fill my life with that kind of negativity? Yeah, it, it's tough for me when I think about game of the year for Giant Bomb for a co- and not to go like too deep because some people on listening to this podcast might not listen to that podcast. If you don't, you should. Giant Bomb cast yeah. and Giant Beast cast are both very good. But part of what's tough for me is because I don't have as much time to listen to podcasts and I'm listening to my fantasy football podcasts. I don't listen to I listen to maybe half of the Bomb cast and the Beast casts. So when I look forward to Giant or to the game of the year stuff. I will have missed a lot of the pre-conversations, so I'm not going to have as good a context as I've had in the past for Game of the Year. Sure. And that's a little bit of a bummer. But I haven't listened to a lot of recent Giant Bombcasts because I've seen people in the Facebook group saying how much Jeff is hating on Fallout 76, and I don't yeah. want to hear that. Like, I love Jeff to death, but when he gets on his his hating high horse on games, it doesn't matter if I like the game or if I don't like the game. Even if I agree with everything he says... He's a dick about it, and it's not right. funny, and it's not charming, and it's not fun the way he hates on games a lot of times. Yeah. And I don't it comes like across as like angry old man. Yes, which he kind of is, and it's part of what I yes. love about him. Yes, but but that gets on my nerves a lot. Plus, the yeah. whole thing about their game of the year last year, I really hated because of Abby's arguments being terrible. She's bad at talking about video games. I'm sorry, she is. So that I'm nervous about more of that. So we'll. So see So she how it actually goes. had like a lot of people being extremely disrespectful towards her on Twitter because Game of the Year is coming up. Yeah. And so she actually hopped off Twitter for the entire month until Game of the Year is over because people are just being super shitty to her. That sucks, man. So, like, like, your opinion is fine. You can have your opinion, but there's also a time and place in which to share your opinion. So maybe shut the fuck up. And there's a way there's a way to give criticism that is constructive, that is constructive. to a person yes. and not just be an asshole about it. Like exactly. I'm not going to tweet at her and tell her how I think she can do better because she's not asking for that. It's not right. my place to say, you know, as someone that enjoys their content and I like Abby. She's super funny. I love listening yes. to her on the podcast. She just isn't good about talking about video games, which is part she's of her getting job. Better. Okay. I don't really see that. Uh, every time I listen to her talk about a game, it's still about how it's cohesive and very good and fun and charming. And those are all meaningless adjectives. I still hear those from her all the time. And so whenever whenever I'm listening to the Be- Beast cast and she's talking about a game, I have to skip it. I can't listen to her talk about games. It's too frustrating. But I'm not going to go and be a dick to her about it. There's a huge difference in, the, in that mentality. Right. Anyway, not to talk too much about Giant Bomb, which isn't as relevant for this podcast, but... So that's where we're on Fallout 76. Hopefully they continue to patch. Hopefully they continue to put out free content. That would be good. Which they are. Yeah. Because there are a, a series of December patches that they have lined up. Right. Um, yeah. So hopefully that... Cause they kind of talked about a roadmap a few weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. Where like they're planning on like opening new vaults in the future. Which potentially gives you access to like new NPCs. Um, and kind of... Uh, 
fixing some of that. Uh, I, I, have, I have a feeling that this is a game in which they can continually change the landscape with or in and in like really exciting, crazy ways. Um, yeah. So hopefully all this negative press um, about the game and Bethesda in general doesn't stop that from happening because I think this game has a lot of promise in the long haul uh, and I want to be there for that. So I just like I want people to stop shitting on it. Like, <laughs> give it a fair shake if yeah. you're going to do that, or shut up about it. Yeah. If if you if you were never interested in playing the game and have never touched the game, stop saying that it's bad. You don't yeah. know what the fuck you're talking about. Rant over. Or like, even if you've quote unquote done your research, you are not adding anything new to the conversation yeah. in any way. So it's just just stop. stop. Just stop. You're what you have to say is not that important. Yeah. And it's already been said by a million it's other people not. who cares. Anyways. And that doesn't just move go on. for Fallout 76. That goes for a lot of stuff. So we'll just we'll move on. <laughs> so other I don't know the necessarily bummer news, but other Bethesda news. They have delayed Elder Scrolls Blades, their mobile Elder Scrolls game. It was originally supposed to release in 2018. They're now saying it's going to be early 2019. Just a theory, but I'm going to assume that a lot of this has to go with ironing out issues with the game due to the feedback on how buggy Fallout 76 is and the fact that game or um, mobile device makers, Apple and Android and everything else, are more stringent on bugginess than like PlayStation or Microsoft is. So I think that that is probably part of it, ironing out some kinks in in the game. Yeah, I, I think it has probably in large part. This is obviously an assumption, but in large part due to like them wanting to separate this release from all of the negative press around seventy six. I think right. they just want to let it breathe a bit, let people get mad about the next thing, and then they'll <laughs> release Blades. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'm so curious to see what the reaction to Blades is. Yeah. And now that I have an iPhone 10, my phone could run this game and probably run it pretty well. So maybe I'll check it out. We'll That's see. true. Um, more just a public service announcement. We have a release window for Life is Strange Season 2, Episode 2. It's called Rules, and it's coming out in January. So the first episode released in September. So it's a pretty big gap between those, which is a bit of a bummer. I was hoping we'd get... The episode two in like November or December, which obviously isn't going to happen. So I don't know. I'm since I've already played the first episode, I feel like I now I need to play them as they come out. I just hate waiting months in between because I really lose right. the momentum and like a lot of the details. So we'll see. They said we're going to get more info mid December, so presumably a trailer um, with actual release date in January. I don't know, man. Episode one was really good. I will play episode two and the rest of the episodes, but. At this point, I kind of wish I waited until the whole thing was done and just marathoned all the way through. What right. are you going to do? I'm assuming there will be a Steam summer sale where this will be like five or seven bucks off, and I'll probably yeah. pick it up then in probably. the summer. Yeah. Um, okay, so Nintendo has made updates to their kind of content creator program. So I don't know when this was. A couple of years ago, maybe, they instituted new rules that were very anti-YouTuber, Twitch streamer, people that want to upload commentary over Nintendo games, where they did like a rev share that was not industry standard. It was very, people said, unfair to the content creators, very heavily weighted in terms of 
favoring Nintendo from a revenue perspective, which effectively made the vast majority of folks just not upload Nintendo games, which I don't know how Nintendo thought that would be good for them, but they're pretty backwards when it comes to a lot of stuff, so I'm not surprised that they made that move. But they've come out and really made a lot of their rules less stringent. So the old program had used the kind of YouTube content ID where if it if the person was not part of the content creator program and it recognized any Nintendo music, it would just demonetize the video, period. They've taken that off. So now anybody can just upload. You don't have to get approved for their content creator program. You can upload Nintendo stuff. And really their only rules kind of make sense. They don't want you uploading just gameplay. It needs to have commentary over it. So like you can't just do a, an entire playthrough of... I don't know, Smash Brothers World of Light mode with no commentary. You Which can't... is kind of a shame because a lot of people, like there are channels built around no commentary gameplay. And those are the ones that I go to for like walkthroughs and stuff. Yeah, because, but I like, would. I, I don't. I don't want to look up a walkthrough and you start up like, "Hey, everybody! It's this is the bill. Welcome back to Resident Evil Four. Like that's like just fine. I... But my, th- I. From a publisher perspective, I take their side because there's no additional value for the viewer to wa- do to watch a commentaryless playthrough. That there is no way that that doesn't negatively impact game sales because for a lot of people, if you're like, oh, if I can watch an entire playthrough of The Last of Us Part Two, I don't need to play it because I just care about the story anyway. So I'm not going to buy the game because I can watch it on YouTube. I am on the publisher's side when it comes to that stuff. I don't know. Because I, f- I feel like it's still the person who is making the video. It is their legwork to play the game and edit it and put it together. They d- still did all of that work. So I don't see how that's any different just because they're not talking over it. Well, legally it is. So we can think whatever we want, but legally that does not fall under fair use. If you're just playing the game and uploading it, that is not considered fair use because you are not manipulating the content in any personalized way. People make the argument... Well, yeah, you are. No, legally, you are not. What? Legally, but you are you not. you are. Yeah, legally, like, you know, jack-off motion. Well, but that's what matters, like, though. <laughs> like, your opinion doesn't matter, But not Kyle. really. I mean, le- like... Yes, it, I mean, legally I, I is get, the only yes. thing that matters. <sighs> If you're going to conform to the constructs of society, yes, legality matters. But legality <laughs> is not the end-all, be-all. Like, just because it's a law doesn't mean it's right. But it That's is. What I'm saying. But it is. It, it, this is black and white. There is no gray area. The law has said that just playing a game does not constitute fair use. You can disagree right, and with disagree. that. And that's yeah. fine. But you disagreeing with that doesn't matter. Because it's the law. Matters to me. Okay, fair enough. And like I said, you can you can make the argument that by playing the game, you are personalizing it, you are manipulating it to make it your own. But yes. the government, the federal government, judicial system has said that no, that is not the because case. Because they really understand video games. Well, my point is that that doesn't matter. And I I am on that side. I don't think that that constitutes fair use. Just playing a game because a video game is designed for you to play it. You are not doing anything other than what the developer intended. Putting commentary over it is personalizing it more so than just playing the game. That would be my perspective. We don't need to go into a whole argument about this. 
because it doesn't matter because <laughs> it's the law. No, I'm, I'm taking off my glove and I'm slapping you in the face. <laughs> I challenge you. No. Okay, we can keep going. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where Nintendo's coming from right now. You have to have commentary to use the fair use sort of thing. You can't put Which, anything... At, at the very least, this is better than the way things used to be. Oh, absolutely. Um, By you, far. Yeah. You, you can't post anything pre-release which again all publishers sense. like yeah you can't everyone does that. gameplay footage of smash before it comes out yep. and they'll that's why automatic- that really cool harry potter game all the footage <laughs> has been taken down right uh and they'll automatically strike things that they deem as inappropriate which again is totally standard for a publisher to do so they're kind of right. falling in line with the way that most things work we'll see if they continue along this path because it seems very progressive of them, which is weird to say. See, it's very progressive of Nintendo to do what everyone else is already doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Com- comparatively. Um, it but it's is. good. I mean, obviously for content creators, yeah. this is really good news. And if for Nintendo, it's good news. Why would you not want people talking and showing gameplay of your games and saying how they like it? Like, it's so dumb. Everyone else is has accepted this is the way marketing works now. Yes. Except for Nintendo. So they're finally getting on that train influencers yeah they're influencing me um moving into the world of movies i guess related to games so this gears of war movie has been in talks for a really long time uh they now have a director f scott frazier who was the director of collide which i don't remember and triple x return of xander cage Oh, yeah. So, I mean, at least he has experience doing action movies. It's also going to be produced by Dylan Clark, who produced the Planet of the Apes movies, the recent ones, and Rod Ferguson, who is the co-creator of Gears of War. He runs Coalition Studio, which is making Gears of War games, so at least he's involved significantly. But my assumption from the producers and director involved that this isn't going to take itself as seriously as Gears of War games tend to take themselves, that it might be more of just like a war-style action movie. We'll see how that Yeah, goes. Uh, when I see Collide and Triple X Return of Xander Cage, I don't immediately think of intelligent cinema. Right. Cinema. <laughs> uh, no, let's stick with cinema, because that fits, <laughs> that fits better. Um, yeah. So that feels about right, honestly. I'm I bet there up, are going to be some really good explosions. Oh, boy. I'm looking up Collide. That movie looked terrible. That is with Nicholas Holt and Felicity Jones, where, like, he's a backpacker, and he gets kind of involved in this, like, drug ring, and it's it's like a chase movie sort of thing. It looked really, really terrible. And probably was. So, Gears of War. Hooray. Um I, we haven't really talked in depth about it because neither of us are super interested, but they've put out some stills and stuff of the Monster Hunter movie, and boy, that yes. looks like a piece of shit. Yeah, it it looks like... It looks like an Uwe Boll movie. Yeah. So, so it, there's a reason why Mila Jovovich is in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those. It's a Mila Jovovich movie. <laughs> That's like a whole genre. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, in news that's probably exciting for many, Netflix is doing a live, uh, live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, which people really like that anime. Have you seen it? I think I watched like the first episode of it once. Cause I that's like one of the most me. beloved anime is Cowboy yeah, Bebop. Yeah. I don't remember it doing a whole lot for me. 
Uh, so I guess it's been in, in the works for a while. They're playing on 10 episodes for the first season. And the original creator of the anime is a consultant on the show. So he's involved in some capacity. I have no attachment whatsoever to Cowboy Bebop, but the internet was pretty fucking excited when this was announced, so figured it was worth mentioning. Yeah, they're doing a lot of live-action anime stuff now. Yeah. Like, they did, a, like, a, a Japanese Full Metal Alchemist live-action thing. Okay. And they're all very terrible and awful and horrible. <laughs> There's also one of Death Note. So they're right. all very Willem Dafoe is in that one. In, well, yeah. It was a movie, I thought. The Death yeah, Note, that was they a movie. did a movie. And, they're, I mean, they're doing Avatar, too. The Last Airbender. Right. I'm worried about that. Yeah. It can't be any worse than the movie, though. Um, I think we would both be surprised. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Netflix, you can play Minecraft Story Mode on Netflix, which I meant to check out and I haven't because I never played through the actual Telltale thing. Um, it seems weird. So yeah. the controls change depending on where you're playing it. Like if you're on PC, it's, you know, with your mouse and keyboard. If you're playing on your TV, you use your remote. Obviously, use your controller if you're playing on a console or mobile or however. But uh, I don't know. I, I do want to check it out because I'm interested. I'm just not convinced that it's going to be as game as even the original was, which is pretty light on the game. Right. Um, the structure of it's also weird. So the original season one was eight episodes because they released like five episodes and they did like a, another three. This one's only going to be five and three are available now with the other two being available December 5th. So right around the time this episode will release, um, those will be coming out soon. So I don't know. I'm going to check it out just because I'm curious, but I'm not convinced that this is going to be how I would want to play this. Yeah, but it's, it's a very cool strange. thing for people that have Netflix and there's a lot of people that like Minecraft or like are casual video game players. It's a cool experiment. I'm sure this is just a test to see what they can kind of do on their service. Right. Netflix, you know, they're, they're going into a lot of different things. They're publishing that interactive digital comic that we talked about a couple episodes ago. They're doing some of this video game stuff. So they're clearly trying to broaden their service offerings. And frankly... This is just an assumption. I think a lot of that is based on them losing third-party deals because all these networks are having their own streaming platforms now. Right. That it's Netflix is really dependent on, one, old content, like old shows and old movies that aren't going to be on network streaming platforms or cable streaming platforms, and original content, which they're really kicking up into high gear, too. I mean, they've all, they'd always spent a ton of money on their stuff, but the quantity is really, really high now. The quality, yeah. I think, is suffering because of that, but they're becoming their own cable network, essentially. So I think yeah, this there's is There's a them. ton of, like, foreign or, like, localized things from different countries as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. that are Netflix originals. There's a lot of those. Yep. Um, so I don't, I, it'll be cool to see if they try their hand in any other kind of video game stuff or even, like, interactive story stuff on their platform. Finally, bad news. Daredevil's been canceled. So we talked, I think it was last episode or the episode before, where... The only good one. Yeah. They, they had canceled Iron Fist and Luke Cage shortly after their second seasons aired. They have now canceled Daredevil shortly after its season three aired. They have not yet canceled Jessica Jones. You can only assume that's coming soon, um, because they've canceled all the other ones, and they already announced that they're not making another season of The Defenders, so it'd be pretty weird for them to keep Jessica Jones around. Um Marvel and Netflix both came out with statements saying like, hey, he's no longer here, but the character's going to live on. No idea what that means at that point. If they're going to try to graduate Daredevil to the cinematic universe or do their own show on the Disney Plus streaming service. Who knows if they would keep the same actor as the character, if they'd reboot it. My fear is 
because Disney is so anti-R-rated stuff that, I mean, Daredevil's a pretty dark, violent, gory show. I cannot imagine them keeping it the same way on a Disney platform just because Disney doesn't do that type of content. And I feel like if you strip that away from Daredevil, it loses kind of its edge. So I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, Daredevil's definitely a much darker character. So yes. trying to lighten it up, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. And maybe maybe they'll keep it the same. I mean, they, they reacquired X-Men, and obviously that includes Deadpool. You cannot imagine that they would try to make a PG-13 Deadpool movie. Like, they have to know that that would fail. So who right. knows? Like, maybe they're becoming more okay with a little bit more adult themes and, and content. That's just historically... They were adamant about the Marvel Cinematic movies. None of them will ever be rated R. So, I don't know. This would be a pretty big change if they said that they would allow some of this darker content even on their streaming platform. Um, I am watching Daredevil Season 3. I have three episodes left. So, I'm going to wait and talk about it till next episode. But it's really, really good. It is really, really good. All three seasons have been awesome. This one might be the best. It's incredible i think it is the best and i think it has the strongest ending awesome so far i'm looking forward to the three seasons yeah so we'll, we'll definitely dive into that some more um in episode 40 so before we start wrapping things up i do have have a quick thing i wanted to talk about because the game awards is this week on thursday december 6th so i kind of want to just have a little fun because there have been some leaks and they've already said some stuff that's going to be there in terms of announcements. But just like what would you want to see announced at the Game Awards? So Rocksteady, there was a rumor that they were going to announce their next game, presumably the Superman game. They have come out and one said, we are not working on a Superman game, which is a bit of a, of a disappointment. And two, we're not going to be at the Game Awards. So you can already check that box off that they're not going to announce anything. Right. On the other side of things, we already know we're going to have an announcement for the new Obsidian game, which I'm realizing we forgot to mention in the news that Microsoft has acquired Obsidian, which is a yes. pretty big deal. So they've obviously gone out and they started new studios. They acquired some studios. This is the, absolutely the biggest acquisition they've made, which good for them. Like the, yeah. The X Lionhead developers is a pretty big one too, but yeah, um, I but think that's a new Obsidian studio. is maybe like the biggest name. Yes. Well, and just because Obsidian has always been third party is part of it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so for those of you who don't know, Obsidian responsible for Pillars of Eternity, um, and uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, yes, Knights of the Old Republic. They Fallout also New Vegas. Did, um, Fallout New Vegas. Um, so they're kind of uh, they also did Alpha Protocol. I think was mm-hmm. them as well. So like they're they are fans of fallout new vegas um are typically the fans who very much dislike fallout 3 and 4 yes um because fallout new vegas was a very different type of game with right. like all the factions and the different currencies the writing was very different as well um for good and bad like mm-hmm. depending on what you like um so uh i think the most fascinating part about this is that since microsoft is acquiring them They'll be working with a division of Take Two, mm-hmm. uh, who worked on Bioshock. Mm-hmm. So, if you go to Obsidian.net and you load it up, there's an advertisement that has like an announcement thing with like so many days and hours, and it coincides with the Game Awards. Then you click skip, and then another advert pops up, 
and it's like one of two different ones that you can get and it has a very bioshock vibe um but it has to do with space so where is the next obvious place to take rapture or the equivalent into space yep so i'm pretty freaking okay with that because i loved prey um because prey was like bioshock in space yeah so i i would be super okay with because Obsidian, like, very strong writing team. Like, Definitely. they have a lot of, like, really great writers on their team. I would and consider then, Obsidian to be, like, an elite developer. They're in that yeah. upper echelon of developers. Yeah. So, so any, like, anything they make, I would be interested in. Yeah. So, obviously, huge get for Microsoft. Yes. Um, and that's the uh, bummer the, part of it. Obviously, this is a biased perspective as a person who owns Sony console and not Microsoft. But very good chance this would be an Xbox exclusive, whatever this game is. And so that kind of sucks, because that just right. means I have to buy an Xbox, <laughs> which yeah. I was already or leaning your towards. PC. But either one. Well, that's not going to happen. I think we both know that's never going to happen. <laughs> True. The the financial and mental investment required is beyond my desire right now. Yeah, that's um, fair. But oh, yeah, so I'm very excited about this. Sure, absolutely, because you'll play it on PC. Um, oh, and you have, I guess you have an Xbox One anyway. Damn yeah. it. Now I'm like, fuck, I should have bought an Xbox One during Black Friday. I could have gotten one for 200 bucks. Oh, well. Maybe I'll add it to my Christmas list. <laughs> buy me an Xbox <laughs> One X. Because that's part of it, is if I was going to buy one, I would want to get an Xbox One X. And right. I don't want to spend $400. Like, that's ridiculous. So maybe I'll just buy an S. And just that way I, I can play, like, the six Xbox games. Like, I can play that um, Insomniac game, whatever that was. The kind of platforming, funny Sunset Overdrive. Oh, And, like, right. Gears 4. Cuphead, Sea of Thieves. That's probably it. <laughs> yeah, I could probably get a rare replay. More, but... I guess eh, maybe for the for the funds. Yeah. Anyway, so we already know that they're unveiling this game at the Game Awards. So that one you can mark down. We're going to see Obsidian's new game at the Game Awards, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. I'll say yes. that that makes me far more interested in watching the Game Awards, which I did not watch last year. I watched um, a recorded version afterwards and just like kind of fast forwarded throughout hmm. we'll see because it's also during thursday night football depends on how i feel but i'll probably watch the game awards yeah i may or may not be able to watch them live just depending on some yeah. other stuff so uh so other stuff for me that i would like to see and kyle feel free to jump in with anything else so we know that crystal dynamics is working on an avengers game obviously they just released shadow Excuse me. They just released Shadow of the Tomb Raider this year, but they were not the primary, excuse me again, they were not the primary developer of Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which I think kind of showed in the final product. But I think there's a decent chance that they could announce, not announce, but like unveil with a full trailer the new Avengers game. Leading me to believe this could happen is that the Russo brothers, directors of the Avengers film, are going to be at the Game Awards. So ah. I could very well see them being part of them coming out on stage and saying, hey, we're also helping work with this thing and show off the game. That could be pretty cool. Um, Bioware has come out in a blog post. Casey Hudson, who runs the Bioware studio, has come out in a blog and said he kind of talked a little bit about um, what's going on with Anthem because they're doing the closed alpha he also mentioned, you know, the N7 day thing with Mass Effect Andromeda and like long term. Hey, we have plans for Mass Effect still. He also said that we should expect some new Dragon Age news within the next month. 
you know, what happens within the a next month. A mobile game. Yeah, maybe. So that that's part of it, is Mass Effect Andromeda didn't come out that long ago. Anthem's coming out in less than six months. So it might be difficult to see them announcing another game this soon. Right. Because, like, you would presume that a new Dragon Age, assuming that's their next project, won't come out for, like, another two years, maybe. But just throwing it out there, them saying we're going to hear more Dragon Age news in the next month. The Game Awards is obviously a huge platform for video games to make an announcement like this. I could theoretically see it happening. I would be excited if it happened because that, you know, Anthem, I'm a bit up and down on just because of the multiplayer part. Mass Effect certainly scorched the earth for that franchise. Andromeda did. So maybe they could make another good Dragon Age game. But like you mentioned, if there was an announcement at the Game Awards, the better chance is that it's some kind of smaller experience, which not interesting to me. Yeah. And then finally, the biggest thing that I want to see is anything from Sony. And just any, any exclusive stuff from Sony, please. They're already backing out of E3 next year. There's no PSX this year. PS5 is rumored to launch in 2020. I'm just real nervous that they are done with this console generation. And that other than the already announced, you know, The Last of Us Part Two, etc. That we're not going to get any other new games. And that would make me sad. I don't know what this would be. Because I feel like all their studios are spoken for. Like, I, you know, Horizon 2. But it's probably still too early to announce that game. Obviously, Insomniac just put out Spider-Man. We know they're working on a new Ratchet and Clank, but it's, again, it's probably too early for that. I don't know, dude. I don't, Jeff Keighley and Kojima seem to be pretty tight, so maybe we get like a release date for Death Stranding or something. Cool. I know you wouldn't care about that, <laughs> but I would. Yeah, a release date in 2020 launching on PS5. That would be very sad. <laughs> it would. That would be very sad. <laughs> So, yeah, the Sony thing is less even, like, I'm excited for new games and more just I'm nervous that they're putting away their developers in preparation for PS5. That would be a big bummer. So I'm hoping that they announce something here, but I'm not holding my breath. Anything else? Anything I missed? Any big things that could be announced? Not that I've seen. I haven't seen, like, a lot of the chatter surrounding game awards. Yeah. I haven't really had my finger to the pulse lately. So, I mean, really it's like some stuff that wasn't announced at E3 that we expected like, right. Borderlands three new splinter cell game, something like that kind on of stuff. Metroid, but I feel like Nintendo would just, yeah. Have a, yeah. Nintendo uh, doesn't really do direct this. for that. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly some other games that have been rumored for a while could be there, but these are kind of the big ones for me. More so like studios that we know, things are going on but we haven't had them unveiled yet i would like to see more maybe like a half an hour on um the one new smash brothers character they haven't (laughs) announced yet waluigi (laughs) (laughs) a whole presentation of waluigi um okay so let's wrap this thing up with a quick hate of the week hate of the week so this one it's frustrating Because, like, I want to buy games when they come out, right? But then Black Friday happens and everything goes on sale. And I feel like I should have learned this lesson by now to just not buy a video game that comes out near Black Friday because it's probably going to be on sale during Black Friday. Like, yeah, was it cool that I could buy Fallout 76 and play it at launch a couple times? Yes. 
but that wasn't worth the extra $25 I spent on Fallout 76 to buy it at launch versus waiting for Black Friday. Similar with Spyro. It was only 40 bucks, and I really got it for like 37 because of the Amazon pre-order discount, but I could have got it for 30 bucks during Black Friday. And that's not like I was in a rush to play it. So that's just like, I've learned my lesson. I'm not buying it. If a video game comes out in November, I'm not buying it. And if it... Yeah, you will. No, nope. Unless it's like... Next year, you will. I mean, if it's You'll like... You'll have forgotten. <laughs> if it's like The Last of Us, sure. But if it's just like a game that I want to play where I'm like not... I don't need to play it immediately, I'm going to wait. Because it will probably go on sale. And if it doesn't, I'll just buy it afterwards for the same price. Who cares? Like, there's no incentive for me to get an extra week early when I could save 20 bucks. It's just dumb. And that's just frustrating as a consumer, too. It feels anti-consumer. Like, I feel like I was taken advantage of with Fallout because it was so deeply discounted during Black Friday. It's just annoying to me. But it was also so deeply discounted, I think, as a response to all the negative press. I don't think so. There's so. no way to really see that coming. I don't think so, dude, because Battlefield was also heavily discounted, and that came out, like, days before Black Friday, I think, right? Or, like, a week before and Hitman 2, which I granted the sales weren't great for Hitman 2 yet, but that only came out like a week before Black Friday. That's just the way it works. Like, games yeah, are I discounted so. for Black Friday. I don't think it has anything to do with how sick. There, I'm sure there would be some exceptions. Like, Red Dead wasn't discounted. So there are some exceptions if it's an amazingly selling, positively reviewed game. But the majority of games do go on sale. It's just not worth wasting money like that to get the game for an extra week. Whatever. It's just annoying to me. I waste money all the time. <laughs> it's old hat to you. <laughs> There's a huge stack of Amiibo cards in the other room <laughs> that agrees with me. Were those on sale for Black Friday? I guess they're too old. Yeah, they're not new. They're yeah. You're mostly they're buying a collector's from, item, Shay. Right. You're mostly buying from from resellers, not like Correct. new card packs. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. So. No emails this week. Thanks again to Aaron for writing in last week. If you have an email. Send it to info at shayhateseverything.com. Or you can tweet at me at Shay underscore Castle. Or send us a message or leave us a comment on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash shayhateseverything. Send it in. We've always got stuff to talk about. We got opinions. Yeah. And they're always right. <laughs> Regardless of what the law says. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, Okay, so... now you get it. uh, Let's wrap this up with some positivity. So I'll say that today I don't hate Christmas prep. Kelly put up our Christmas tree a couple weeks ago and just put the lights up. And so a couple days ago we kind of did, hey, let's put our ornaments up. Because it's now post-Thanksgiving. It's December now. It feels right. And it just feels good, man. feels Christmas is in the air. Well, all the listeners can't see, but Shay, I don't know if you can see in the webcam behind me, the entire dining table, dining room table is stacked yeah, with, with our Christmas stuff. I see. I mean, I, so I just we, see, I I see a bunch of red of stuff. Yeah. So, yes. Christmas. So Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My favorite color, a.k.a. favorite <laughs> holiday. Yeah. Uh, I also, good. I realized, because we have a, like a short tree, because we don't have a lot of space for a tree. Okay. Um, so her, my wife's parents gave us uh, kind of an extra tree that they had. And I forgot that only half the lights on it work. Mm. 
and I guess we just didn't light it up last year because we don't have any Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my wife had to remind me we didn't buy Christmas lights last year because we were trying to save some money. We were going to buy them after Christmas yeah. when they were deeply discounted. And then you forgot. But they were sold out everywhere. Oh, uh, okay. So then we just never bought them. So we got a bunch of boxes of them on our uh, click list Kroger thing. So hopefully they had them in stock so we get those in our groceries today when we go to pick them up nice. after this podcast. And then I'll just like throw a bunch of fucking Christmas lights everywhere. <laughs> I can't yeah. wait. Are you guys gonna you gonna decorate the house like outside? Um, we're not sure what we're gonna do outside. So we have a bunch of stuff for like the bench and all that out there. Like we have like an old red rusty sled, okay. um, like the old style sled, wooden and, and metal, and then um, like this like gold papier mache mm-hmm. reindeer thing. And then, like, a Happy Holidays metal sign thing and, like, a small tree with lights on it and a planter so it won't blow away. Um, and we have a wreath on the door. So we have some stuff. I don't know what we're going to do light-wise outside. I would like to get those, like, icicle lights and do it along the front gutters of the house. Mm-hmm. I'd like to wrap the trunk of my our big uh, tree out front. I'd like to wrap that. Um, I don't know what else. Man, you got some work to out. do, man. I know. It's only going to be up for a couple of weeks at this point. Yeah. I've just been uh, I've been busy because I'm doing the winter play stuff now. Mm. So immediately following the fall play, I have the winter play. So I've been doing stuff for that. And then I'm, I'm going to work all next weekend, like 26 hours for an event. So be too busy then. Cash so money. Take care of it sometime. Yeah, that's all the Christmas present money. Um, okay, well, yeah. So for me, I don't hate... Warming up my fingers with some Guitar Hero 2 in the morning. Nice. So right before this, I played a few songs, and I got my fingers nice and warmed up. Have you been it's playing little... it consistently since the wedding? Because you you played some of it when I was in town for the wedding. Uh, I'll, I'll play like a few songs a week. Okay, yeah. Every now and then, yeah. Nice. Um, But also, definitely, I don't hate Christmas decorations. For sure. It's the it's... most wonderful time of the year. Absolutely. Kara and I got matching Christmas sweaters with a Pekingese on it. Okay. Um. And uh, because our dog Harry is a Pekingese, so she got a green one and I got a red one. So we're going to go to a friend's Christmas party in a couple weeks, so we'll wear those. Cute. And then we got him, Harry, some long johns yeah. that have penguins on them. Oh, boy. And it's so cute. <laughs> so I think we're going to do like a digital Christmas card this year with us wearing our Pekingese sweaters and Harry and his long johns. Nice. And we'll adorable. email it out. Yep. Can't wait. All right. Let's wrap this thing up so you can get some Christmas decorations going and I can get some lunch going because that's my priority. Food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as always, I will post the show notes with everything we talked about, links to all the news stories on com. So, check it out. And we will see you guys in the next episode, which will be our last episode before Christmas, I think. Yeah. 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 Because then the episode after that is... We'll be in the new year. We'll go up on the 31st. Right. Oh, boy. The final day of the year. Yeah, we need to do some, like, year-end wrap-up garbage. Yuletide hates. (laughs) Merry hate-miss. Merry Merry (laughs) hates-miss. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And Kyle, as always, thank you for joining. And we will see you in the next episode. Peace out.